This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Potodri for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round. Come and join them in Aberdeen's biggest and best beer garden. And even better, head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Retty or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds! Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 72 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and joining me, as always, this week is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? Uh, no one cares how I'm doing. The important matter is we need, on Red TV, we need to get that commentator from Atlanta United as part of our <laughs> setup, because I have never heard Aberdeen be said with so many A's at the beginning. Aberdeen FC. I'm all for that. We need to get the guy on board. Any stroke we have, let's make that happen. We have absolutely no stroke, Gav. You're more than aware of that. Um, but what you're telling me is it was slightly better than Steve, you know, Tosh. Um, it was better than Rob McLean, anyway. Okay, anyway. Uh, today, welcome back to the show. Is it fourth appearance? I think it's fourth. I think it's my fourth, yeah. yeah. The one so. and only, Tom Watt. Tom, Hello. welcome back. How are you? Thanks very much. Thanks for much. I'm very good, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, the last time was a hat-trick, so this is the... You're Jessica's the firm one. Excellent. Um, yeah, thank you very much for having us. You're welcome. Listen, and we don't have to talk about Dundee today. We don't have to, but we have just done it. <laughs> so <laughs> We might just do it anyway. Eh? Let's just do it. Just that, yeah, let's get out of the way. No, we don't have to talk about Dundee and that. I think every time I've been on previously, we've had a lengthy discussion about, uh, a, yeah, a turgid Dundee performance. Yeah. So we don't have to talk about that. Let's no. not. Move on. Move on. <laughs> and we've sculpted this part of the... <laughs> review that you don't even have to talk about Dundee United yeah we've deliberately done that to keep it away from you I've, I I barely we only have a fleeting visit to Tayside in, in the whole thing the city of discovery is in the rear view mirror <laughs> in a week that saw Calvin Ramsey make his full Scotland debut that saw the Qatar goalie put in a performance that Jamie Langfield at Tanadice would have been proud of it is a busy busy one on the ABZ football podcast as we bring you Part one of our look back at the season to date with Mr. Tom Watt. We'll take a long, we'll take a look back even at all the news from maybe 24 this week, including our financial results. And it's just as well that our resident accountant, Graham Steele's missing this evening. So you have to go with myself and Gavin whacking out the abacus. We'll check in with the ladies team along with our regular loan watch. And after the break, we will bring you the latest installment of my favourite game as Martin Stone talks to us about Aberdeen 3, Rangers 2 from August of 2005. But first, we've got nothing else to talk about for, what, five weeks, basically, until this nonsense of World Cup is finished with. So what better way to spend our time than have a look back at the season so far? We're going to split it into two parts. Uh, Tom, as we said before, you'd be pleased to know. That means you can avoid talking about a debacle in Dundee once again. Um, we're going to go all the way up as far as, I think, the Anne Athletic League Cup game. So let's just, um, let's just get going, shall we? A bit of a frantic... 
close season is the polite way to put it of incomings and outgoings, which saw us end up with a couple of wins in preseason games at Bucky, a 2-1 win and then a 7-1 win at Beacon City. But all eyes were very quickly on the season opener as we took our place in the Premier Sports group stages for the first ever time. Um, an interesting experience for all of us, I'm sure. Balmour or Slovenia in the summer. What do you want? Balmour it is. Are we still calling <laughs> the Premier Sports Cup because it's the Vitality Cup now? Uh, via play. Via play, sorry. Um, but it was the Premier Sports Cup at this point in time. So we'll, you know, let's go with that. Um, so yeah, we got up and running. Trip to uh, Peterhead. Peterhead nil, Aberdeen 2 for this one. Debuts for new signings. Anthony Stewart, who was confirmed as our new club captain during the week. Kel Roos, Liam Scales and Jaden Richardson with a debut as well for Mason Hancock. Fair to say, we kind of struggled a little bit in this one to begin with. Not really fashioning much in the way clear-cut opportunities, but eventually winning out 2-0 thanks to Ramirez double one from the penalty spots. He looked to try and keep his place in the starting 11, despite the impending arrival of Boyamiowski, who was waiting on a work permit coming in. Uh, now, all in all, from what I can recall on this one, this was a bit of a drag, wasn't it? And after an encouraging performance of Breakin in pre-season, this one had me a little bit worried about just how kind of sluggish we were, it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, the first half was pretty, from memory, the first half was pretty tedious and I don't think there was an awful lot of I don't know there was an awful lot of alarm but there wasn't an awful lot of urgency uh, there wasn't an awful lot of urgency either and what you really want in these these games obviously you want to win and there was I think as soon as as soon as uh, Ramirez scored the, the penalty there wasn't any worry that the Aberdeen would win but you want to show that you've got something a bit more about you than you did the previous season and I think there wasn't an awful lot on show in that first game you know that Stephen Glass's team for example would not have uh, would not been able to do um, I think I mean it, it, it's kind of telling that, that where we are now that six of that starting 11 are are probably not first picks anymore but um, it was a slow start it was a slow start and there wasn't an awful lot to get excited about. It was more. I think we did the, the preview to the um, to the the group stages and what you you know obviously you want to win every game and, and get through as early as you can. But I mean, P- Peterhead have proven to be absolute dross this season. Um, yeah, uh, you know they, they have they've been very comfortably beaten by significantly worse teams than than us, and you just kind of wanted to lay down a bit more of a marker. And subsequently, that that did arrive. But I think at this point, it was like, well, that's over and done with. On to the next one. Hopefully not an awful lot to read into. Yeah, um, this is going to be a recurring theme. I can't exactly remember the Peterhead fan we spoke to, but we previewed the game and the strife they were in as far as their squad lost most of their key players to either open goal Broomhill or like Simon Brown, their mid or Scott Brown. Maybe as the midfielder, yeah, leaving for um for Wraith Rovers like they were preseason Struggling. games. Preseason games that they were like it was just trialist, 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 trialist. I don't think they even had a goalkeeper on the books it, when we ha- when we spoke with the um the Peter Head fan we um we chatted to at the game, and um you know we'd made a few signings um at that point. You kind of hope that we can go in and make a a real statement of intent. Um, it was a slow, sluggish game. I think. I think I watched that game in its entirety on Premier Sports, if I remember rightly. Um, not much to write home about, but as Tom kind of says, you know, not 
any cause for concern. I can't remember Kelrus making a save of any kind of note in the he game. He did make a decent save from a free kick. Did he? Yeah, he did. It was 0-0. No, no. Yeah, which I, I could have got, you know, if that goes in and it's like, ooh, this could get I, a bit. I remember, given that what um, we'd heard, it, it wasn't as comfortable we, as we'd kind of hope and 2-0 win. It doesn't say a huge amount, but at the end of the day... Um, after Stephen Glass, I'm just looking at any of these games as potential banana skins, and we got through it um, in days gone by. Peter head away. That's got banana skin written all over it. We came through it. 2-0. Uh, move on to the next game. Move on, we shall. Um, as your dog squeaks his yes, that donut is, in the uh, background. That's, that's, uh, that's Dylan enjoying his donut, just for the record. Excellent. Lovely stuff. Up next, home game. Uh, Aberdeen 2, Dumbarton 0. Uh Debut for new signing Ilber Ramadani, who arrived at the club the day before after his work permit came through. Um, he came in for Dante Polvara. Remember Dante Polvara? Oh, yeah. He's still alive. Still alive. He has, he has been pictured in Atlanta, so there we go. Um, some terrible trousers. Oh, those trousers are absolutely honking, is the only way to describe those. This was a pretty comfortable evening for us. Eventually, we ran out 2-0 winners, thanks to goals from McCrory and Kennedy. But this was probably two going on about six or seven if we'd actually had our finishing boots on. Not really much to say about this one. Not really. I mean, uh, Christian Ramirez should have scored at least a couple. Um, Ramadani basically came off the plane straight onto the pitch and really impressed, albeit yeah. against what looked like a really limited, uh, really limited um, uh, Dumbarton side. Uh, Greg Wilde was apparently on the pitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it, it was a lot more encouraging. Um, I mean, t- two games back to back by the same scoreline, but one being this team doesn't look like they're clicking. The, this one being like, well, there's a there's a bit more about this. There's a bit more promise, and it, it, it took us a wee while longer than it should have to to open the scoring. Even at, even after at two 0 I think. I'm sure uh, Christian Ramirez has at least a couple of chances that um, Ramirez misses he, a sitter in this game, doesn't he? he? Misses an absolute sitter, yeah. He had like chopped off for offside as well, first half, didn't he? I think. Uh, I think he had one yeah, about 10 a really minutes good, in. A really good finish, yeah. It was a good finish, yeah. Um, and the game's and then, very different if that counts. Yeah, but but all in all, uh, there were there was a lot more there was a lot more to like about it. Um, I think there was a bit more pace about it. There was a bit more. Um, there's a lot more running. There was the start of what we the, the the start of when a when Goodwin's teams have been good this season. There was the start of some of uh, some of that, like fast on the counter, yeah, a lot more running with the ball than we'd been used to. Um, I think Ross McCrory at that point, Ross McCrory going back into midfield. You're like that's where we'd been kind of crying out for him to be playing a little bit more um and, and made a big difference but but Ramadani um I think from my my memory anyway came in had a strolled it strolled it assist for the assist for Matt Kennedy's goal um and yeah we got 90 minutes out of him and he looked like okay that's there's there's some proper class in that yeah because what we heard as well we heard later on um after this maybe after that game actually because I think we were really been encouraged by Ramadan's performance, especially because got the ninety minutes out of him. So don't anyone yeah. expect that because he'd only arrived the day before. It was, yeah, um, but we did hear um, from within the club. I think the day or two after we did the episode about it, that they were all really impressed with Ramadan when he arrived at Cormac Park because he was ready to go. Like he'd 
I know they'd given the guys all their kind of like their their plans to keep up with and all this kind of stuff, but they assumed because he came in so late that it it would take him a bit of time to get up to match sharpness. And he came in was basically straight off the bat, match fit, ready to go. Uh, he'd done everything that had been asked of him. So that I know that that buys a player a lot of goodwill as well when they come in the door straight off the bat that he's obviously done the work by himself um back in back in Hungary at that point. So so great stuff there. Next up then was a trip to Sterling, a reunion a reunion with ex-captain Darren Young. And this was much more like it. Um Sterling Albion nil, Aberdeen five, an unbelievably good first half performance from us, which saw us five nil up at the break. Uh, a brace from Bajau and Ramirez an excellent Matty Kennedy free kick and one from Ross McCrory had us on easy street, which allowed Duke to make his Aberdeen debut coming off the bench at halftime for Ramirez. Now, first half, I thought was brilliant. It's the kind of thing you want to see from your team playing a lower league side in the cup is just blitzing them and and, and, and that's done and dusted by halftime. It's probably fair to say that while um, Duke made some impact at the fourth bank when he came on the second half, we maybe weren't quite what was expecting, you know, what follows from him based on that initial 45 minutes? I think my, my overriding memory of it from was this guy is going to miss open goals, but he's going to attempt ludicrous things. Like, the, he is going to be frustratingly unpredictable. Um, what's been what's been so, so pleasing about him is he's still got that unpredictability, but actually he's been... Fair, like he's, he's found a run of consistency and he's, he's doing the same things. That, um... But clearly bred from a different football culture, um, yeah. Like he missed, he, he like he he was just doing, he was doing Duke things. Um, he was he was, <laughs> he was attempting things when the simple would have been much more effective, um, and was attempting scissor kicks and and you know doing acrobatics when just you know letting the ball drop and 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 passing it into a net then would be, would be much better, um, but. Entertaining. Um, I think it was it was really difficult to know at that stage what kind of player we had. Um, the, it was frustrating. It was frustrating not to you know if you're five 0 up not to absolutely crush them in the second half. And I mean, it's Sterling Albin at that point. I thought right, they are they are hopeless. They're they're yeah, they trouble. are really 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 bad. They're in big trouble this season. Um, they've actually subsequently shown to be like a fairly decent. Um, like to said, they're, they're, they'll be fairly. Uh, they'll be there about. They'll be in the playoffs, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was actually, you know, an even more retrospectively, it looks an even more uh, impressive performance. But should have scored more in the second half. And um, yeah, not. I, I, I wish I could have. One of my friends is a Sterling Albion fan, and he's like, this this guy who's come on, I. I have no idea of what he's going to do next and not in a good way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, contrary to Peterhead and Dumbarton, where we start quite slow, as you say, we just we take the game and take it away from Sterling Adam completely. Um, Vinny Bajowin gets his two goals at that point. You know, he'd had a pretty ineffectual couple of performances against Peterhead and Dumbarton. You start to think that he's kind of going to come into his game and become a a complete game-changing player for Aberdeen. More on that later. Um, but yeah, very satisfying. Um, once again, it's it's it shouldn't be, but it's it screams banana peel to you. And we went about our business incredibly professionally. Should have, I think we took our foot off the gas in the second half yeah. um, in a way that you don't necessarily want to see, but you can kind of understand because 
the Wraith Rovers game's upcoming and the league's about to start. People don't want to go full throttle. Um, just, yeah, um, a satisfying process. And yeah, that's the, the beginning of the beautiful friendship that we've created with one Luis Lopez. Um, the hints of a maverick right there. Am I right in thinking there was a moment where he kind of fell onto an overhead kick, which yeah. hit the bar? Yeah. Did that happen? I can't remember. Yeah, okay. Did which, he, which he manufactured s- it out of nothing. Did he sort of yes. like not stumble on the ball into an overhead kick? Yeah, he did, yeah. It was amazing. Just, yeah. you know, just, just what you want to see. Um, on to the weekend, uh, the Premier Sports cameras were back again because they clearly figured that this was going to be a, a repeat of the season before. Uh, not to be lads, not to be Aberdeen 3, Wraith Rovers 0, a debut for Boyan Miofsky um, after the approval of his work permit, or if the rumours are to believe, the approval of the permit for his dog to enter the country, and that's what was holding up um, his arrival. Never mind. Um, took him only six minutes to get on the score sheet. Uh, manufacturing a penalty? Yeah, let's say manufacturing a penalty. After keeping himself onside pretty well, Smashing his penalty high up in the top corner, not a bad way to get up and running and introduce yourself to the Aberdeen faithful. It's fair to say, absolutely. And um, uh, and there there are like there are, there are penalties, and then there are there are penalties. Uh-huh. It, it, it's you know there are you know, like your your calmly dispatched um, Adam Rooney penalties where you're like ninety nine percent sure this is this is in, and it's business as usual. That was like emphatic. This is this is what I'm capable of, and you know, it, it might not have been the the solo run or you know lashing one in from thirty yards, but it was incredibly calmly put away, and and the placement of it was very reassured. Like, yes. okay, okay, we've got something here. I remember watching it and thinking exactly like, that's a confident lad. Yeah, like you know, you could have just tucked it down the corner. No, no. Hi, lovely stuff. Excellent. He'd look like a right dick if he'd like smashed over the bar. So it's like fine margins, isn't it, with football? Um, Ross McCrory with a thunder bastard making it two before Johnny Hayes scored just after halftime um, to make it three. Sealing our place in the next round. Four wins from four, scoring 12 in the process. Conceding none. All in all, a pretty positive start to the campaign. Although, one you would have probably expected us to make. I mean... You can only you can only do as you can only beat the teams that are in front of you, and I think there had there been any drop points, then there would have been some questions asked. But the manner of the wins, especially the Dumbarton and, and Sterling games, where it was, um, I mean, I guess even the Wraith game, which was more a case of just making sure nothing was that we didn't do anything silly, it were heavily favoured in all of them, um. Better players, better prepared than everybody, you know, all of our opponents. Yeah, did we did we expect to win all of those games? Yeah, would it? But you know, we've 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 got more than enough experience to know that it's not always that easy. Um, once again, having come from where we came from with Stephen Glass, and obviously beating Wraith Rovers isn't for everyone, as as we know. Um, <laughs> It's it was a it was a very favorable group, no doubt about it. Um to come up against two league two teams, um a, a terrible, terrible league one team in in Peterhead and then a home tie with the with the championship team. But Wraith were coming into that game with I remember that with a, a lot of optimism. You know, Ian Murray had come in, in the summer and made some astute signings the likes of um likes of Dylan Easton and uh Scott Brown from Peterhead uh to dispatch of them. So 
effectively and yeah come away from four league games league group games with you know 12 goals zero conceded it it um it gave you certainly a lot of optimism for the for the season ahead because as tom says if we lost dropped any points then a lot of fingers think would have been pointed at the manager and even perhaps the new players that had come in um they answer those questions very very well and of course um that led to the end of Christoph Berra's footballing career. How fitting it was! It, it was a pathology. Well, I was going to say, I thought you looked like you'd omitted that from our little uh, our little preview there, but I'm I glad just you remembered that. it right now. Um, after having had his soul exhumed by a ball boy many years previously, it was only fitting that his footballing boots should be hung up right there. Dundee FC's finest number seven. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> zero goals conceded. Um, who out there was thinking that we'd sorted our defensive issues out from the season before? I mean, <sighs> was was Declan away by this point? I I think he was still there. Maybe no, he was I definitely th- gone because because he came. He got it tight from St. Minnan fans when they got beat by Airdrie. Yeah, that rings well. So I think he was definitely gone. Okay, well, I mean, gone. that's that's part of a reason to be optimistic. And well, David Bates would have still been around, but there's chat that he's getting linked with Legia Vorsov. I think he's for in a, around for a I think lot of money. I think he's in and around. I think he's in and around the squad for the entire group stage, and then this is kind of when the chat starts going out that he's been linked with Legia, and we don't see him ever again. Uh, no, no, he was on the bench for the rest of the, the rest of these games for a while. Um, I but I don't think he's on the bench for Celtic, is he? Yes. No. Is he? No. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. I'm pretty certain. He I is. don't think he is. Oh, I'm gonna have to go and look at this now. If he is, that's he's round about this time. It's, his la- <laughs> it's all it's his happening. Last yeah, Legia yeah. Warsaw. I think they're linked with some other boy. I think. I think they've decided on some other player. Oh, he's yeah. not on the bench against Celtic. You're right. I see. I think this is when it, all the chat goes around, and then suddenly Aberdeen Twitter probably compromises the transfer. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we do. Um, yeah. So, and also, I forgot about this one in the run up to the Wraith game as well. Um, it's obviously announced that Miofsky's been given the number nine shirt. Yes, taking it away from Christian Ramirez, who put it the season before. Um, Ramirez now with ninety nine instead. Uh, Jim Goodwood was quite disparaging about this in a interview after the game, and I remember saying, "Well, he should be happy. He's got two nines now." Um, at the time, this was also getting thrown around there like it was a big deal. Um, are there any thoughts from anyone on this now in retrospect? Is it? I thought it was this game, but is it Sterling Albion that Ramirez goes through on goal and dukes to his left and he just refuses to pass the ball and he shells it into the main, into the Merkland? Uh, well, Captain Sterling, because that was a way. Oh, was that St. Mirren? I have no idea. St. Mirren. It was St. Mirren, I think. Because that's there's a game where he blanks Miofsky, isn't there? It's the Wraith game, isn't it? I don't think it is because Johnny Hayes scores like almost like an identical kind of goal where like if Hayes like doesn't pass and he misses then you've called Johnny Hayes a dick but he actually scores I think, it's not, it, I think it's the Wraith game because Ramirez and Lopez come on at the same time for Miofsky and Hancock so they were crossing each other mm. it's it's the Wraith game quite possibly is it? Is it? Uh, two, two identical opportunities it may be it oh well it could have happened against St Mirren because again uh, Lopez and Ramirez come on for Miofsky and Hayes at the same time in the Submitting game. So it could have been... I think that's what it is. It was um, a Submitting game. I remember us talking about it. Yeah. I mean, just kind of... Well, I guess that's kind of foreshadowing what's to come. Um, squad numbers are are important in my mind. Um, Jimmy Goodwin clearly made a, a statement that Miofsky is his, his, his number nine, his, his lead striker. And um, to be honest, after the 
the fallout, the, the way the, the season prior ended, I was pretty done with Christian Ramirez. So um, no complaints from me. It was both a big deal and absolutely nothing and a nonsense. I mean, it should have been... I think there's an argument that it... it I, I think it was clear that Christian Ramirez took a bit of a, a hump about it and there were... There was enough on social, not just from him, but from those around him, that suggested he didn't. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't thrilled with his the, brother. Went big on this, didn't he? His brother went big on this, yeah. um, and you know, to some extent, I do understand. You've got the squad number. It's symbolic. It's all of these things, but you've not done enough to, to, you know, you've not done enough when you had it to, uh, to, to justify holding on to it and. New managers come in, and the way that you get back into favour is by buckling down. And 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 you know, there's there's been similar story, like you know, the when Ronaldo joined uh, Inter Milan, and he had it written into his contract that he uh, he had number nine, and so did I think it was Ivan Zamorano. Zamorano. So he had one plus eight, and that became a, like an iconic thing for the Inter fans. It could have been an iconic ninety nine, may yet be an iconic ninety nine. You know, that you can. There's maybe an argument that it it could have been handled slightly more sensitively for him, but equally the, those around him, rather, probably those around him more than, than Christian Ramirez himself, could maybe have been a little more grown up about it. Um, was it yeah. after this you had the social media meltdown or was it transfer window? It was transfer deadline day, wasn't it? Transfer, transfer deadline, deadline day. day. Yeah. Oh, we'll come up to that next time with Andy, I think. You, you get the joys of missing that one, Tom. Um <laughs> Because I think as well, the thing that I think surprised most people, I think the first anyone knew about it was when the team lines came out for the Wraith Rovers game. Like it hadn't even been announced yes. before that. It was the yeah. first that came out was the numbers going, Miofsky's starring. Oh, Miofsky's wearing number nine. That's a bit of a statement without it being a statement, so to speak. From the Given manager. Ramirez had already worn number nine that season. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, it's not that big an issue really, but it was just one of those bits from the season, a subplot from the season. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out as the season continues first up though hold to proper league duty a visit to parkhead um for the season opener and i think it's fair to say we probably arrived there in no relatively you, no you arrived buoyant. there you arrived, arrived there, there in relatively buoyant duty <laughs> none of us were taking your pish on at all right, this. there we go then um you know we've had a good run in the league cup group stages um we might catch the home team cold on flag day you no. never know um, Liam Scales missing from the starting lineup um, due to his obviously in terms of his loan move uh, from from Celtic, which meant Ross McCrory was back at centre half alongside Anthony Stewart, which meant Dante Povara came in alongside Ramadani in the centre of the park. And new loan signing Hayden Coulson started at left back, and fellow new signing he arrived during this week or the week before, Cal Roberts on the bench for the first time for Aberdeen as well. I remember him. <laughs> Um, for all the hope of a bright new era, um, we were a goal down after three minutes. Polvara losing Welsh at a corner, free header inside the six-yard box to put Celtic a goal up. And despite Celtic having loads of the ball, we should have been level on half-time because Johnny Hayes squanders a massive, massive chance to equalise just before half-time. And it took Celtic until 75 minutes to get a second. Uh, Jota with a really, really fine strike in fairness. Cal Roberts did come off the bench uh, after an hour for his debut, but there's kind of little else to talk about this one other than it kind of felt like a little bit like a bit of an anticlimax all round. I thought. Yeah, I mean, if we if if we'd hung on a little longer than the third minute, or if we'd gone <laughs> at ha- or if we'd gone in at halftime um, level, 
and it wouldn't have been completely um it, it wouldn't have been completely unjust because no. we're okay in the first um we're okay in the uh, in the first half I think um Joe Hart had the good save from Matty Kennedy, Matty Kennedy yeah. um Miovsky um, had a decent chance that like and there was still a feeling that like Joe Hart has Joe Hart doing Joe Hart things when he's capable of incredible goalkeeping feats and just these like glitches that I've never seen anyone do that before. Um, (laughs) And he had both of those in in very quick succession. Um, It wouldn't be, so it wouldn't be completely unfair. I think in the second half Celtic, from from memory certainly Celtic, up the pace a little bit more. Um, They were pretty wasteful. They got a, a a lot of, and I think there were like Povara in particular had quite a quite a tough afternoon, um, partly because because um, skills wasn't available, so Ross McCurry went went back and uh, to, to to play the back, um, but Matt O'Reilly and and Jota were getting an awful lot of of joy in the midfield. <laughs> in some ways, you know, like opening the season against Celtic at Parkhead on on Flag Day. It's you lose to nil. You're like, well, okay, <laughs> yeah. these things happen. Yeah. What else? What else? What else? Uh, you know, anything better than that is a is a bonus. But it did feel a bit. Um, it did feel a bit deflating. The the worst part being giving away a goal to to Stephen Welsh, yeah. all people. Um, <laughs> after after three minutes, and then it's a an uphill battle. Yeah, yeah. As Tom says, I mean, Celtic at Parkhead. Flag day. It's um, it's pretty. It's, uh, you're up against it uh, from the off, and then to concede such a a soft set piece goal within three minutes. Um, who knew that would become a, a a pattern within the season to to come? Um, as can I mention, Joe Harvey that save. Johnny Hay has a great chance in the. Is it in the second half or is it in the first half? First half. First half. In the first half to to make it level. I mean, you'd expect Johnny Hayes, a player of his quality, to slot that comfortably in the net and suddenly the game takes on a different complexion um and then from there you know Jota who's probably individually speaking the best player in the league you know just kind of does Jota things um spanks on an absolute worldie um you know again given the recovery that we're gonna have to make from finishing in what 10th place the year before I don't look at the season as games at Celtic Park being what's going to define our season um so I was kind of just a case of We've not got our best team on the pitch because of decisions that have been taken, you know, with, with Liam Scales, obviously, um, causing the kind of double jeopardy with Ross McCrory. But it is what it is. Um, you know, don't look at it. Don't catastrophize it too much. Move on to move on to the next game. Move on to the next game, we will. Um, a home game against St Mirren. Aberdeen 4, St Mirren 1. Liam Scales back in the team, allowing McCrory back into midfield. A new loan signing Leighton Clarkson starting from the bench after having only had his international clearance come through in the morning from his move from Liverpool. Returning Declan Gallagher with, let's be honest, an afternoon to forget. Uh, sent off within 22 minutes for two bookings, allowing us to really capitalise poor half-time. Miofsky with his first league goal uh, from the spot, which he then followed up with a real poacher's goal for number two on 37 minutes before Leighton Clarkson makes his, uh, um, announces his arrival at Patology with, well, 
a worldie from 25 yards to make it 3-0 at halftime. Him coming on for Coulson, uh, who went off earlier in the half injured. Yeah. Bear in mind, he had hit a shot about a minute earlier that went to the corner flag. He did, yes. So when he's on, <laughs> when he's when you can see from the red shed he's going to hit this, you're just a bit like, ah, oh, Leighton, come on. Oh, oh, oh. that's special. That was very, very good, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Um, Saints with a goal back from the spot via Ayunga before Duke announced himself to the Don's faithful with his first for the club. And this is the thing, Tom, isn't it? We spoke about earlier on, like you kind of think he's going to miss sitters and he might not have like a lot of um, composure, shall we say. This just answers that question right there. And then it's a wonderful clipped finish at the Merkland end. A great win for Aberdeen to get up and run in. The only real downside is Cal Roberts, who had to leave the field just a matter of minutes after coming on for Coulson. And we've not seen Roberts since. Um, um, what? Fake news. He didn't come on for Coulson. Who did he come on for? I don't know, but not Coulson. Not Coulson. Clarkson came on for Coulson. Clarkson came on for Coulson. He came Matty on for Kennedy. somebody. Matty Kennedy. He came on for Matty Kennedy. There we go. Matty Kennedy. Um, but we've not seen Cal Roberts since. But in a way, this performance here against Simon kind of sets the tone for a lot of what's to come later on, isn't it? Especially, especially at home. Um, and I think, at the, you know, it's, it's game two of the season in isolation, just like with the Celtic game, in isolation, you you might go, well, you know, Stephen Glass's um, Aberdeen side turned some Mirren over uh, last season and in isolation, that was a good, good result. But in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter for much. Looking back on this now, and the fact that St. Mirren are very, very good defensively and cause have caused an awful lot of teams a lot of problems, especially with how dogged their midfield are. That mid, that midfield three of like Greg Kilty, uh, Kenny Bacchus, and uh, Ethan Erdogan are like dogs of war. Um, they, they, I mean, and they started quite well, but Declan, I mean, Declan Gallagher arguably should have been sent off for his first booking, yep. and then. Um, Sticks out a hand for the for the second one and gets sent off. From that point onwards, it's like how how many can we score? Um, and I think one of the things we are gradually learning is if 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 this Goodwin side can make space, um, if there's space in behind, there is an awful lot of pace in that uh, in that team. And um, if teams are chasing games, then there's an awful lot of uh, ways that the ways that we can hurt them. I mean, Mielski, I think, good seeing him score another penalty. The second one was really neat, partly because just, I don't think there, we've had that many strikers in recent years, maybe other than than Adam Rooney, who would have gambled on that the way that yeah. they did. They gambled on the way of, of, of Trevor Carson not, not coming for it. Um, starting to see what uh, what we might get from, from Leighton Clarkson. I mean, there is an argument that it's in in games that other games have, and this game arguably mattered uh, a little more. But but in terms of technique, it's arguably the third best goal he scored for us, and it's still an absolute worldie. Um, and Duke, like you say, no idea what we were getting from him in the Sterling Albion game. Um, there was a there was a feeling a little bit that we got at the sort of trialist signing that like Ebb might have made yeah. where where it's like I, I don't know if this guy's good or not but we need bodies and he seems quite quick whereas actually like okay he's he's quick and he's physical and that is a neat finish you know there's a lot of there's a there's a fair bit of football and um fair bit of football in him um so yeah I think the the neat the neat habit of um 
getting opponents to uh, get players sent off and win winning us winning penalties <laughs> because because of like the personnel that we've got and the way that we play as much as anything uh, we start to see that we start to see a bit more uh, cohesion at the back um and and the 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 emergence of um Christian Ramirez, of uh, Leighton Clarkson, sorry, and and Duke. I mean, I think with with Cal Roberts, it sounds like he didn't have a preseason, proper preseason, and was so desperate to um, so desperate to get up to speed. He was doing like triple sessions and things, and I think that's uh, ironically done uh, done for him until the new year. So, um, but you know, he he got an off, admittedly at a pretty ropey level but he certainly scored an awful lot of goals from wide players I'm interested to see what what kind of player he is when he's back but a good a good statement win this one yeah I mean it's um it's good to see that Cal Roberts is is with the team um in Atlanta right now hopefully regaining that uh that fitness that'll bring him up to when we're ready to kick off again once the festivities in the desert are are over um i've had my memory refreshed now so yes that would have been so it would have been wraith rovers the ramirez duke um chance because okay. duke scores a very similar kind of opportunity when he could have passed john hayes but he opts to take the chance and on this occasion duke duke scores um i think yeah as tom says like declan gallagher for all the i think that game i think the occasion got declan gallagher on that yeah day, and he just is. played in a really uh, a way that I'm sure he would now find regret. He's, he's earned a lot of plaudits amongst St. Mirren fans for his performances ever since that day. And as Tom says, they're a pretty solid outfit under Stephen Robinson. Absolutely no good with the ball, as he's admitted by himself, um, <laughs> off the back of their um, League Cup exit in the group stages because them having the ball too much is just unfair to them. Um but I mean, yeah, Miofsky scoring those two goals in, you know, you get that impression that we've got a, a pretty special talent. It's maybe overall Leighton Clarkson's still to this day his best performance for Aberdeen. I thought when he came on, he really ran the show um, from yeah, a pretty deep lying position. And yeah, that goal is, especially when you're in the red shed and you see him hit it and you just know from the moment it leaves his foot, this is going in the back of the net. It's an incredible goal. And it's going to the, the second half, you know, we concede the the goal. I think almost immediately Ramirez feeds Duke in and you see the pace. No one's catching up for them um, in that situation. And for a guy that's been described as being so, so very raw, um, a project player, you know, against Sterling Albion, Wraith Rovers, I saw a lot of things I could um, link with, with Josh McGinnis. But there, it's it's an incredibly composed uh, finish um, showing the talent this guy has. Um, and yeah, we've, since then seen the seen the benefit um there was a lot to be encouraged about in that day i like the fact that tom you, you used the phrase uh de- defensive cohesion uh about this performance because up next aberdeen 2 Motherwell 3 is the very 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 opposite of defensive cohesion um we come at this one full of hope i think in momentum because of that win against them in the week before Motherwell are really struggling i mean we spoke to um one of the boys from the Motherwell fc podcast who like in the run-up to this game was just literally shitting himself about what might happen. Um, <clears throat> they're really struggling. They're fresh off that European exit to Sligo Rovers. Uh, Stevie Graham, Hamill's been... Graham Alexander's gone, yeah. Yeah, Stevie uh, Stevie Hamill's now been appointed permanent manager because Graham Alexander's already been emptied. 
Um, Leighton Clarkson gets a first start. New signing Shaden Morris is sitting on the bench for the first time uh, with Colson now injured. Scales is at left back for this one. McCrory at centre half alongside Stewart. So it's Ramadani and Clarkson who are the kind of holding two. And the visitors with a much, much better start to this game than us. Uh, Blair Spittle gets, uh, grabs the lead for Motherwell after just 20 minutes. Uh, Mayofsky, great header. Wonderful header to level things up just before half time. He should have had one in the first uh, earlier on in the game as well. He makes a decision to try and lob Kelly when it might have been better just to take it in and try and, you know, a slightly more uh, orthodox finish might have been a better place there, but never mind. Um, but after a poor first half, going in at half time seemed like a real bonus. And then when Johnny Hayes makes it 2 1 just after half time, I think most of us thought, right, cool, we've kind of put that behind us now. We'll go on and dominate and see this one out. This is the single most frustrating game of the season for me. Not like, like I was expecting there to be blips. I was expecting there to be, you know, I wasn't expecting to lose 4-0 to Dundee United, but it wasn't a massive surprise that we would have lost that game. It was frustrating to get ahead so late against Ross County and, and concede, but <clears throat> this game was won. Like, yeah. Motherwell were down to the bare bones, so low on confidence. There's... Not there's there's no creativity in that team uh, at all. They are like a proper dogs of war, uh, proper dogs of war team, and, and they were the better side for forty one minutes. Um, when Mielski scored, there was a wobble. Johnny Hayes then scores, and you're like, right, they they don't have the bodies to get back in this. If as long as we don't do anything stupid, um, this will be another four one. They'll 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 commit bodies forward and we'll hit them on the break. And they're they are not a good they are not a good team in any way, shape, or form. And like I say, there there have been other games, there have been other other performances that have been frustrating. But this was the one that I think there was there was the there was the momentum there. The the match was won and another three points. You know, we would be what five points behind five points behind Rangers and five points ahead of Livingston. It would have been a fairly significant difference without it being the rub of the green or just people, you know, too many players not turning up like happened against Dundee United or, um, you know, a, a decision like the first Hibs loss. Those things happen. This was entirely within our own hands and was was just inexplicable. The not learning lessons from previous matches against Motherwell, not learning lessons like just don't let Kevin Van Veen get the ball in the like eight yards from goal. Um, he, you know, he, he we make him look like Marco Van Basten. Stop time and time again. Stop doing that. Um, <laughs> and just being from from being ahead, being outfought, and um, Mother will not having to work particularly hard or do anything particularly inventive you know the, there was no great like moment of flair to pull them back into it. it's just daft it's just daft defending I mean I remember because Gary you weren't there that game neither was Graham I was solo in the red shed that day and um, the first goal is eerily similar to the Stephen Glass season of yeah, opposition player crosses ball opposition player scores easy tap in Aberdeen defender doesn't fancy defending but then you get this little moment of magic it's it's almost um reminiscent of Robin Van Persie that diving header for Holland in the World Cup from Miofsky as far as the amount of effort he needs to put in and we get that goal we don't deserve to be level but we're level um Johnny Hayes scores straight away Tom says you kind of think like okay we've seen this 
bad spell this game out. We're now two one up against this team. That's confidence has to be rock bottom. We've got good players on the pitch. We can just go and control this game and see it out. Uh, maybe even get a couple more goals. And it was just so so very so soft, so so easy for Motherwell to to cut us apart. And um, the second goal's pretty unforgivable. And then obviously the Van Veen goal. Um, I mean, Tom calls him like Marco Van Basten. I, I like to call Kevin Van Veen, you know, Kevin Van Basten, Mr. Roy Percy, whenever he plays uh, Aberdeen, we make him look like a hybrid of all three. Um, and given the fixtures we have upcoming, you, given how little there is between the teams in the top flight of Scotland, going on runs of three, four games where you win in a row is just going to create such daylight and put you in such a comfortable position. Um, it felt like a real... A real missed opportunity and um, a moment where that um, famous Jim Goodwin quote about how the defense is going to be a really easy fix. Um, it puts that into, it puts that in the spotlight, um, especially when you look at that defense study. I think it was almost entirely all Jim Goodwin signings, perhaps with maybe... Um, uh, with the exception of McCrory. With the exception of McCrory. Um, yeah, it was yeah, a deeply disappointing process. And the fact that we... When we went three two down, we just never looked like we were going to get back into it from there. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is as well, it created this narrative after this game that Motherwell were a good side. Um, but you know, the league table doesn't lie after that. Motherwell are, are a poor poor team this season. That has been put to bed ever since. Absolutely. Well, the fact that we beat them at for Park tells you everything you need to know. Um, but you know, that that's been very much put to bed this season so far already. I mean, they're sitting ninth at the moment, they're only two points ahead of Ross County and Kilmarnock. Um, who are Kilmarnock in particular are the worst team I've seen um, this season at Pataudry. Um but Tom you're right as well you know you take that game from a winning position that should be three points on the board you, you can to a certain extent put I don't want to put the 4-0 defeat at Tandice on the shelf but you're right you could easily have lost that game 1-0 and it's you, 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 you pick up zero points but between the three points here that we should have had after being in the lead and then the two points we lose at Ross County by, by just not seeing out the last 30 seconds it's a five-point swing that you know, and I know Gav, you're going to do the whole. There's Rangers fans now going, well, if we just won all our games six 0 we'd be top of the table. But these are situations where we should have really capitalised. We'd be three points off Rangers in second right now. Um, that's an opportunity missed, as far as I'm concerned, to really ramp pressure up on them as well because they're one of the first games we've got at Petardry after the resumptions mini break. But anyway, um. Let's give Dylan to interject. Is everything all right there, Gav? Um, I think he's saying if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle. Excellent. <laughs> Great stuff. Next up, though, St. Johnston nil, Aberdeen won. Uh, finally an away win. Although it doesn't really count because it's Perth and we always win away in Perth, so it's fine. Uh, Coulson in for Matty Kennedy, which meant all the changes from the week before were reversed. Johnny Hayes with his 300th appearance for Aberdeen. Andy Considine, unfamiliarly, in the home side's lineup in a blue shirt. A pretty tepid encounter, let's be honest. Settled by an absolute howitzer of a free kick from Leighton Clarkson on 56 minutes. Duke and Morris with chances to put it beyond doubt late on, but first away win in the league of the season. First clean sheet in the league this season as well, which will have been a welcome relief, I imagine, to Jim Goodwin. I, I mean, at, at this point, I think St. Johnston are doomed. They, are, they, were, they were the worst. And I mean, I, I still kind of can't quite get my head around the fact that they're level on points with Hearts and they're in the top six. Given <laughs> the few times that I've seen them this season, they have been horrendously bad. Um, and just, you know, there were there were massive, great big problems. 
all over the all over the pitch for them. This was a very very bad game of football, settled by an unbelievably good free kick. I mean, I suspect in three or four years' time that Clarkson free kick will be used as a um, you know remember the time he did this in in Perth in the way that like James Madison's was because. There's, there's definitely similarities. I actually think there's probably more about Clark, uh, Clarkson's all-round game um, at, at this stage than there was. That I mean, it, it was very easy when uh, James Madison had a great highlight reel occasion. I mean, there was a he, he did get. I can't even remember who it was. That he, like, but there were a couple of times he got substituted off for guys who would get you very low scores and pointless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know and, and rightly so because there, there was a bit of um yeah like he, he had a great highlight reel and was, um, and he was had a, a bit great individualistic wasn't he? he was a bit individualistic and he was still very raw and there was still yeah. a lot of there were a couple of teams that would definitely noise him up and there were a couple of times that the rough and tumble of Scottish football just meant that games passed him by that's definitely happening with with Clarkson as well, but I think it's happening slightly less often. And when he's good, like he has clearly got an awful lot about him. There's clearly a lot of vision there, and yeah. like he he's got a very individual way of running that I think makes him very <laughs> hard to push off the ball for being quite a small guy, but also wins a lot of fouls. He's a really interesting player, but um, we'd seen that he could hit them from distance. We didn't know that he could do this with free kicks. Um, I mean, like I say, St. Johnson were pretty, pretty tepid. And at this point, I think it was, I, I was fairly sure that they were done. They were, there was no way they were going to be anything other than one of the bottom two sides. Um, but, you know, um, job done, a bit of individual brilliance and starting to go get back on track. Um, going into that game, I mean, because St. Johnson didn't start the season that well, and they were I think they were still carrying a hangover from, you know, narrowly surviving uh, the year before in the in the playoffs against Cali Thistle. Um, I don't fancy my chances in any fight if I'm a football team that's got Adam Montgomery feeding Stevie May. Um, their their transfer business in the summer was it raised oh. eyebrows for me. It's it's worked. It's it's proved effective in yep. the. Um, in the long run, I mean, Callum Davidson appears to have turned it down um, significantly, but it was the kind of game where, because there wasn't much in the way of chances created for either team, it's felt like a, a game where, again, I felt like under glass we would have ended up losing it somehow. We'd have contrived to find a way, and in that instance, it's it's not a mistake, it's a moment of absolute class and um, and brilliance from, from Leighton Clarkson, um, the kind of which... You look at it and think that Leighton Clarkson, given the feedback we'd had from Liverpool fans and, and Blackburn Rovers fans um, from his previous loan spell, you know Leighton Clarkson up against Murray Davidson doesn't sound like it's going to be a happy day for the for the Clarkson family. But it's a game where you want him on the pitch because he might get he might get bullied out of things and um, his physicality might not be what it needs to be. But um, when you have that level of ability to just pull. A rab out of the hat like that free kick. It's it's why you want these guys on the pitch, and it may be that we would un- unearthed a pretty, a uniquely talented player uh, to be playing in Scotland that's capable of that that kind of magic. Absolutely. Um, 
I mean, Gav, you just said there under Stephen Glass would have lost that game. I mean, I, I should remind you. In, I know in, we did. In, in exactly the same I, type I, of game last know, season, but, we but somehow we found a way with a moment of genius from Teddy but, Jenks. But this, but this time we didn't even need to cheat. And his hand. We didn't even need to cheat this time. We didn't even need to go full like, um, Oakland Raiders on it. That, I mean, St. Johnson are also like a quite quite a good example of, you know, we had a bad season last season. I, I am fairly sure in saying that the um, the player who ended last season with the most tackles, most successful tackles in the St. Johnston squad was Ali McCann, and he left in August. August. <laughs> <laughs> On Andy Considine, actually, just really quickly, um, fair play to him. I'm surprised he's, he's played every minute, I think, that he's been available for St. Johnson this season, which is way more than I expected he was going to do. So um, fair play to him on that sense, because I think that's why Aberdeen were reluctant to go more than a one-year deal, which is why he ended up leaving. And in fairness to him, he's, he's also done a job there. And I think St. Johnson do look a lot more solid at the back at the moment as well. So um, not that I'm saying he should have stayed, but... I think he's what more 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 interceptions than any other player in the league. Yeah. I mean, th- there is the flip side of that is there have been more interceptions to make if you're not playing particularly well, but certainly he's, he's, he's made them a bit more robust. Yeah. So there, there was a little bit of chatter around St. Johnston Twitter around this kind of time that he wasn't fancying the, um, the commute from Bankery to Perth and speculation that he might have, uh, might be ending that deal sooner than than thought, but no. Um, since then he's um he's showing what he's all about and continues to prove people wrong, which I think is the Andrew Constantine story in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Um, on to the following week. This one's got a special place in my heart. It's the first game that my wee boy came to at Pataudry. So, um, Aberdeen five, Livingston nil. Try to try to explain to him after this one that it's not always like this. Um. <laughs> An unchanged Don side for the first time this season, and after a pretty stuffy opening 40 minutes, we finally get ourselves in front after some good work by Vinny Bajowin to win the ball back from Fitzwater before he was hauled down in the box. Livy out of 10 men, Miofsky dispatches the penalty, Don's going at halftime a goal to the good. And then second half, once again, once a team opens up a little bit, there's a bit of space to exploit. The Don's turn on the style of Pataudry, a great finish by McCrory, making it two before Bajowin smashed home a penalty kick after being handed the ball by Miofsky for for, for Bajowin's, sorry, first league goal of the season. Miofsky then with his second goal of the game on 61 minutes, a really, really good finish after a Hayes through ball before Ryan Duncan got his first Aberdeen goal, a cross-come shot that found its way into the far corner. A rampant win helped by the fact that Livy went down to 10 men because for my money, Livy were probably actually the better team in that only in 40 minutes. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. I think I think Livy had kind of had a bit of a stop start, uh, stop start start to the season, but they had. I mean, in in um, particularly in Joel Newbley, they've got one of the bits of you know one of the best bits of transfer business any club's done. In uh, like he looks like another fantastic bit of business. Like he, he looks like he's changed the way that they. Um, change the way that they can play it looks like he could play at a, a, a higher level and he will make them a transfer fee off the back of it um they were their usual livy selves of pressing hard causing mistakes um particularly causing a, and, and causing our defense a bit of a bit of a bit of worry they just couldn't didn't take their chances we get the we get the penalty we get uh, we go one ahead and as has been when we've been at our best this season we 
like scoring and then seeming like we're not going to let the we're not going to let uh, opposition teams come on to us after we've scored. There's a bit of shock and awe, um, and you know from the point of the, uh, from the point when Ross McCurry scores, it, it's like all one way traffic. And having had a pretty difficult opening forty minutes, it was another one where you know we we could have ended up more, winning more than five um, in this one. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Newblay is a very talented player, but um, I think he was playing him up, himself up front that day. And for all his talent, I don't think he's naturally a goal scorer as such. And the opportunities Livingston created, they did come to him and he didn't um, take them in the end. And obviously when, you know, we create the we create the red card through our pressing game and Vinny Bajowin, um taking advantage of some pretty slack play between their goalkeeper and, and Fitzwater. Why did I take the point that, you know, obviously them, them being out of 10 men helps us in terms of getting that that final score but better teams than Aberdeen I think will struggle against Livingston with 11 even with 10 men I think we really put them to the sword in a, a pretty major way I remember distinctly that Goodwin made the change early in the second half to bring Leighton Clarkson off for Duke and we went two up front and that caused them all manner yeah. of, uh, of problems that creates the the penalty that Bajawin eventually scores um you know, Ryan Duncan, who I'd been, I've been banging the drum for Ryan Duncan since Peter Head when he first came on. I think that kid's got a lot of talent. Gets his first goal. Um, that ball through from Miofsky's second from Johnny De Bruyne is sensational. It's unreal how good it is. Um, see, it, it just showed that even though it's 10 men, um, there's so much attacking quality and there's a lot of pace in the team as far as getting the ball forward. And, you know, when you think of side to side Scott Brown plays it to McCrory Scott Brown plays it to David Bates how painful that was for it to be so dynamic it was you know it's just it was so refreshing and I can say I think we teams will struggle against Livingston with 10 men more than we did I think we I thought we were excellent that day and after that after a a comfortable win in the league again you think it's uh, two wins on the trot get the confidence up we get a plum tie in round two of the Premier Sports Cup, uh, drawing the lowest ranked side left in the competition in the form of Allen Athletic. A first ever trip to Annan for the Dons. Three changes, uh, Mackenzie, Morris and Kennedy coming in for Coulson, Hayes and Clarkson. And it's fair to say we really, really struggled on that Galabank AstroTurf on a sticky night in deepest, darkest Dumfrieshire. Um, goals at halftime, which meant we saw Hayes and Duke uh, coming off the bench for Morris and Kennedy. Eventually we get the lead, Bajowin somehow bundles the ball over the line on 55 minutes. And then you think, okay, fine, that, that you know, a game like this can be a bit like that. They sit in, they make it difficult, the pitch is a bit sticky. Fine, let's just get through the tie, that's all that matters, as is always the way. Um, and then get a goal back from a corner. That might become a theme later in the season, possibly. Somehow we end up forcing extra time. Thankfully, though, we do get the job done in extra time. Duke, and Bajowin with goals in the opening period of extra time before Clarkson seals it with three minutes remaining. This was one of those games that, I don't know, at the time I was a bit raging about the overall performance, but in retrospect now it's just a case of, well, it's all about getting into the next round, isn't it? Really, it doesn't really matter how you get there. It, I think it was, extra time was as professional as the second, as the last 20 minutes were unprofessional. Yeah. Um, and the quality, you know, the quality did play out. I mean, Annan are not, 
not a good team. They are really not a good team. They the bad this season. Oh, they, are, they, they, are, they, are, they are they are Graham Steele's pick for League Two. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I saw Annan get the uh, down at the uh, the, the Scottish Cup game. The um, Annan against Pollock when they got. That, I mean, it was a cracking game, but Pollock beat them four three, yeah. and we're carving them open all over the, the all over the shop. They they are not a good side, and it wasn't just that we struggled to break them down to get the first goal. It's that we had a couple of scares before that happened, and we'd had we had a couple of scares afterwards before they equalised. Um, there there just hadn't, and has been a, as 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 has been a theme. Um, away from home throughout the season, there just hasn't been the same kind of swagger. There hasn't been the same kind of uh, vigour and uh, relentlessness in, in the finishing has just not been anything like as good. And it, it's really hard to explain why. Because yeah. um, The goals are the same. The, the goals are the same. The teams are regularly worse. <laughs> yeah. um, and it wasn't like, like Annan sat in and were, and were defensively you know, solid. They they um they had kind of the bank of five in, in midfield, but it wasn't like they were. You know, especially in the, after we scored, they did push on. They did. They were looking for things. There was space, and they are the second or third worst team in the the um the country. In, the least, in the yeah. country at the moment. So. There's not really any excuse for saying, oh no, they were they were stodgy and hard to break down. Ultimately, um, having got the scare and having taken it at extra time, the the extra quality did show, and being able to you know being able to call on guys like Leighton Clarkson and and Duke um, off the bench made a big difference. But it was a it was it was concerning. I um, mean, in, in in retrospect, you get through the tie, the the scoreline flatters. It's you can write it off as just not a less than ideal day at the office, but you you're still in the cup. But it was it was flat. It was flat. I'm gonna harness all my Graham Steel energy and just say that we got through, and that's all I fancy when it comes to leak up ties on plastic pitches in Dumfrieshire on a Tuesday night. Um, <laughs> with a, a starting 11 that definitely wasn't our strongest uh team we'd also have to call on the reinforcements um but yeah when it comes to when it comes to the cups especially um it's all about getting through um concerning given how well we've done in the league cup the group stages against these teams as well um Annan had not got off to a, a good start and have uh, have continued that theme ever since but um yeah at the end of the day even though it comes through extra time and some uh, a little bit of Duke magic for that for that corner, and then we kind of take away from there. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, the the results the all all that matters, and it's a quarter final um, for Aberdeen in the League Cup, which is one step further than we were a year prior. Do you think when Duke left Benfica, he envisaged scoring at Galabank? Do you think that was in his visions when he thought um, he was moving. I don't know if that's I don't know if his dad included that in the sales pitch for Aberdeen. Anyway, no, there we go. Um I mean that's gonna take us up to the point where we're gonna naturally finish now in this kind of part one of the review. Gav reliably informs me that this is a natural half time point in the season. It, it seems way too early for me, but never mind I'll 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 believe Gav for this one. But that of course meant that <clears throat> at this point in the season we were fourth in the league. We were in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. Um 
I guess, Tom, I'll turn to you first. Can you kind of remember, like, what was your general, I guess, thoughts about where we were at at this point? I think there was definitely more to be positive about than there was to be negative about. I think in lots of ways, it's the same as it is now. You'd have to say that if somebody said a number of weeks prior, you will be in this position and you'll be, you know, you'll have progressed in the cup, you'll have got through the groups without conceding a goal, you would you would be you'd be happy with where that had been um very very good uh, wins against Livingston against uh, St Mirren who which wins that look better by in, in retrospect because they've been good sides this season that have caused a lot of problems um but very much a work in progress and I still think there's there's a bit more signs of maturity and there's a bit more signs of slight consistency um and it looks like there's, but it still looks like there's an awful lot more to come from us this season. I think there there's still a couple of areas that we need to um, look at in January to make obvious improvements to the eleven. But I think now, as with then, it was like a kind of B minus. We could definitely have done better. There, de- like the the like I say, the Motherwell game in particular was the most frustrating match the most frustrating not the most necessarily the most disappointing or the worst performance but definitely the most frustrating but if you'd said at the start of the season right at this point you will be you'll have won all your cup games you'll have progressed there you'll have had a couple of hiccups along the way but it'll look like I mean I think at the start of the season we said for I think we even said on one of the pods yeah the, the downside, the, the concern is with making 10, 11, whatever it was, new signings and almost all of them being expected to play a huge part of the season is you need eight of them to be good. You need eight of them to be really, really good. And in the last four years, we're lucky if we've got kind of half of our signings right. That's a yeah. massive hit rate to yeah. try and hit. Huge. And, and very few have. I mean, yeah. other than Celtic, I don't, and it's difficult to do, you know. For most teams, it's really difficult to do because they're operating in a market that you're taking chances on a lot of players and hopefully you get one or two right. The clubs that have got like Vaders have done bad transfer business recently. Hibs have done very bad transfer business recently, but it's not necessarily been obvious from the players that they've been signing that they were going to be disastrous. So it's a big ask to put together a new squad and, you know, the... the, the um, the, the team that plays uh, the team that plays Annan, Kelvus is a new a new body. Anthony Stewart scales new bodies. Uh, Richardson, Ramadani, uh, Miowski. I mean, even Matty Kennedy hasn't played an awful lot of football with anybody else. Besides, only came um, this year. Clarkson comes in uh, as a sub. Duke comes on as a sub. Um, even like Rand Duncan, who might have been around the club for a long time, they've not had an awful lot of time to play together. So you've got. To so it wouldn't. It's not that surprising. There's teething problems, and there's it takes a wee bit to get going. I think at this point, at, at this point in you know whenever uh, where are we? We're kind of the end of end of August. Yeah. Just as now, the signs are pretty good from the signings that have been made. There's only a couple that have maybe got question marks on the over them. There's nobody who's been an out and out disaster yet, and I think we're in a fairly Go, you know, going into September, we're in a fairly decent position and there is enough to be positive, to be more positive than negative. 
Before we let you go then, Tom, because you've just talked about new signings and what we'll do is um, we'll compare this with Andy Murray when he would talk to him next week about new signings as well. Quickly, Stropple marks out of 10 for the new signings. Just This is not up to the Annan game. This is just generally now up to where we are um, as we've gone into the World Cup break. So, Kel Roos, who's obviously now become the undisputed number one at the club. Uh, give him a seven. Solid enough. It, like, I think there was still a lot of... I'm one of the people that, that, that still thinks there may still be some football left in Joe Lewis, but I think Roos has got better as he's gone on. He's still had a couple of brain farts here and there. Um, had a couple of moments in the the win at Fur Park, the Mother um, yeah. game, which were a bit <laughs> terrifying and probably should have done better for their goal as well. But all in all, has been pretty solid. Might that connection drop just as you gave the number? <laughs> what was um, it? Seven, seven, seven. Seven out of ten. Seven, okay. Uh, Anthony Stewart? Um, yeah, another seven. I think, seven. I, I think, yeah, I think when he has just got to defend, he's really good. I think he's good in the air and I think when he just gets rid of the ball, he's really, really good and I think one of the reasons that we've been better switching to a back three is because there are more footballers around, like more players that are maybe a bit more technical around about him because he's not a great technical player. He's not very good at playing the ball out of defence. He's not necessarily going to start attacks with things, but but he's good in the air. He's very strong. Um, When he, like, when he, makes the decision just, you know, smash it into the sidelines, then great. It's when he tries to maybe try tries to overcomplicate things that he's come uh, come unstuck. But I think fairly, fairly solid so far. And I think that I'm interested in him because I'm interested in um uh, like he comes across well in his interviews, but he's obviously clearly got something that all the players have kind of deferred to uh, to be captain so quickly. Liam Scales. Uh eight. I am we are much, much, much better with Liam Scales in the team uh, without than without um, a very modern, modern centre-back. I think if we could do anything to to make that move permanent, it would be a really good bit of business because I think if he keeps playing football, he'll be in the Ireland's, Ireland 11, which is more every bit of damning about where Ireland are at the moment than, than, uh, than, than how well we've been doing. But I think he's there's potential for him to make money from a transfer. Like, from a future transfer, he's got He's a very, very good defender. He's big, he's strong, he's quick, and he's he's got an eye for a pass as well. He's a much more progressive centre-back um, than we've had in a while. So, yeah, I think he's been an excellent bit of business, even though he can't play against Celtic. Terrible haircut, though. Terrible haircut. Agreed. Do you like the fact that he looks a bit like a young Alec McLeish when he goes up for a header? Yes. You've got to like that. Yeah, there's there's definitely a, an iconic silhouette in the making. My internet appears to be shitting itself, which is great. Did you hear me there? <laughs> I did. But yeah, there's definitely um, there's an iconic silhouette there. Uh, there's there's definitely uh, um, some screen prints in the making. Jaden Richardson? Um, I think a five so far. I think he's very young. He's very raw. You can see what we've seen in him. Like, there's a lot of pace. Um, and if you just... And he can get back and he can get forward. I think the concern is he's now been identified as a weak link defensively and teams have, you know, and teams have kind of gone for him a little bit. Um, I don't think he's by any, in any sense of like a, a write-off. I don't think he's, um, and I think he started 
in the game in those games when we've got a lot of space, when we played against uh, ten men, when there's a, he's incredibly effective because he just basically plays as another winger. Um, but I think there's a bit of improvement to do defensively. He's had a he's got into some good positions to get a goal and hasn't managed to do that yet. And his delivery is not fantastic yet. I don't think, like I say, I don't think he's an obvious, um, I don't think he's an obvious write-off, but I think from the starting 11 that we've got at the moment, right back, right wing back is probably the weakest position. Um, and I would argue even that it's probably, you know, like Matty Kennedy maybe is, is probably more suited to the way that we've been playing than he has at the moment. Hayden Coulson? Um Good. Uh, I'll go with a. I'll go with a seven. He, like I think he's been excellent. He just hasn't played enough. Like we've we've only had seen him in fits and starts. When he's been playing, he's excellent. Um, if he can, and I think he's had a pretty horrendous time with injuries. So maybe we've been we've been managing that a little bit as well. Really good player. Would love to see him permanent if such a thing was a possibility. I think um, he's clearly come just to be be playing more football, but um, probably just haven't seen enough of him consistently for him to be much, much better than that. Leighton Clarkson? Uh, eight. Um, I've, like, f- for him being the kind of Teddy Jenks signing where you're not really sure what you're going to get, you're not really sure if he's going to be physical enough, you're not really sure if, like, if you're playing for Liverpool and you, you've, you're that age, you're fairly sure he's going to be technically good, but he's been an impact sub when he's needed to. Um, he's got stuck in, and I think he's like he'd be a real key part of the squad so far. So I think um, all in and an excellent bit of business. Uh, quiz time because I've not heard that name for a while. Can you either of you gentlemen tell me where Teddy Jenks is right now without looking up? No, <laughs> Crawley Town. Wow, League Two, That's... Crawley Town. I think it's Crawley Town. You're correct. There we go. Well, I don't know what that says about me, to be honest. <laughs> I know what it says about Teddy Jenks. Anyway, um, Ilba Ramadani, Tom. Um, nine. I think he's been the best nine. of the lot um, in, in so many ways. I think, um, I still think we probably don't have, we haven't necessarily got the right player to play alongside him yet to really get the most out of him but he's been very effective at breaking up play he's been very effective at being kind of deep line playmaker when he's needed to he's now off the mark with a goal um classy um so i think he's probably been the most cultured bit of business that that we've done um quietly effective but when we're when we're good and things are going well, it's largely because he's playing well when we're not playing well. It's largely because things have, you know, oppositions have, have managed to bypass him somehow. Um, and he's not been, not been at the races. Yeah, I, I think the two obvious positions for me that I think we could probably do with is either we decide to go out and sign another centre-back so Ross McCrory can find his position, whatever that may be. And maybe that's right wing back and maybe that's in central midfield. But sign a sign a centre back and sign a, a, a probably a right wing back so that we can get a bit more from um 
from Ramadani because I think he's he's basically asked to do most of the defensive work um, on, on his own, which is fine. But I think having an option of a, somebody a little bit more physical if we're going to be playing Barron or Clarkson or, um, alongside, then that, that would not be a bad idea for the end of the season. Uh, chap number two, Bojan Miofsky. Uh Yeah, I think a nine as well. Um, I wasn't sure about this one. I think people get very excited about YouTube um, <laughs> highlight reels. His is a lot of was a lot of kind of scaffs and and tap ins and things. Admittedly, not playing in a particularly good team, but I think he's been incredibly classy. Um, and granted, he's kind of got the um, his goal figures have been have been bumped up in a Lewis Ferguson style by taking all um, taking all the penalties, but the range of goals that he's got being deceptively good in the air, um, yeah. having a really like keen vision for like I mean the the we mentioned that he missed the chance um in the whole match against Motherwell by trying to chip the keeper rather than just running onto it. At Fur Park try the same thing again and this time it worked. Um and I think you, the fact that there's rumors of teams in France looking to spend seven figures on him, whether that there's anything in that is suggests that when the time comes to sell him, we'll earn a fair bit of cash on him as well. So um, you cannot complain at all for having one of one of our own up at the top of the goal-scoring charts. Tom's absolutely right. I learned all about the pitfalls of YouTube highlight reels when we signed Tor Christiansen. <laughs> and Lubomir Blaha. <laughs> a dark day. Love it. Um, Duke? I think... It, Tom, and, you're, you're allowed to say and, 11 for this, by the way. I, I like... <laughs> The, the the single my single favorite player at the moment like just so much fun I think all in all from the point like he's only just getting started so it's probably fair to I don't know for it to be like an eight an eight or a nine it, it, I, he will be exceptionally good business now that he's up and running and fit and now that he, like we've got him and Miowski and whichever combination playing by I think in an attacking sense. We've got an awful lot of options, and we're, we're um, when we click, we're an awful lot of fun. I think he's only just getting started, though, and I think um, which yeah, is the exciting I, bit, isn't it? Which is the exciting bit. That's the really good bit, and I think that like that that Motherwell game a couple of weeks ago, they just didn't know what to do with him. Yeah, like they, it just was ragdolling defenders, taking a hit and still kept going. Um, and I think he's one of those players that every single week you're like, oh, he can do that, great fantastic so we've got all right he can do these like incredible scissor kicks uh, all right he's he's got pace and can and and is like a calm finisher um he's like pretty decent in the air like he he the the his goal against motherwell the just kind of instinctively being able to get get down to that yeah um there's a there's an awful lot to his game he's he's a lot of fun yes and it's his enthusiasm and his desire i love the most as well i think like the Hearts game in particular is one of the funniest second halves of football I've ever watched. And our second goal in particular, the you know breaking free with one good leg to set up the second is still without doubt one of the funniest things I've ever seen happen at Pataudry. He's 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 great fun. Like he's just a already a cult hero, a chance to be like a, a you know chance to make something, especially when in a normal season he'd be the one that everyone's talking about. But actually, yeah. he's probably maybe third or fourth in the list of, of people that have been catching the eye. It's great. Um, 
last two now uh, I feel even I, I feel bad even asking about this one Cal Roberts <laughs> it's really yeah it's really tough I mean you've kind of got to say at, at the moment like a four he's just we don't know uh, he seemed like exactly he seemed like a very good player he still does seem like a very good player to take a chance on his yeah. record last season for a wide player was phenomenal it sounds like he's just been really unlucky with injuries and I but I've no idea. I've really got no idea. I haven't watched. Uh, I've watched enough conference football, and that's not very much to know. It is a absolutely terrible standard of, of football, and you know there are League One sides in Scotland that would be that play an awful lot more football than than some of the sides in the English Conference. But there's lots of examples of players that have come up and been very very effective. He's yeah. he's obviously wants to play more football and this is a chance to, to play at a high level um, but I don't know no idea no idea exactly no That's idea last one um, Shaden Morris uh, like a, a five not he's not done I don't think he's done anything wrong but I don't really think he's he's not made an impact at all at the moment and I think um, you can see there's some like raw attributes and you can, and he's young um but other than maybe like two chances the, the the St Johnson game in particular when he should have scored most of his highlights so far have been things that he should have done rather than things yeah. that were were particularly exciting um and you'd imagine that with with other players coming back he's going to have to work a little harder to get minutes absolutely right well it's interesting because remember at the start of this we said Oh, even back at the start of the season, we said we need eight out of the 11 that we signed to be kind of hits. That's what we need to, to really turn this around. If you discount Cal Roberts, because let's be honest, none of us have any idea what kind of player he actually is. Out of the remaining 10, um, if you say that anything over a five or a six is a hit, then you've got eight of them. So 80% hit rate there. So we're kind of doing all right. And I, I, I tend not to disagree with very many of the scores in there. I mean, there's a couple I'd maybe up and down a touch but I think they're pretty reasonable to be honest Tom Gav I don't know what you think you're probably raging Ramadan has got a 9 Gav's not convinced by Ramadan but um... <laughs> his standards have dropped lately <laughs> um, but there we go Tom what it's been brilliant having you back on mate thanks very much for having us always a, um, always a pleasure and for once we didn't have to talk about bad stuff in the main that was generally pretty good which is always yeah. nice for a yeah. change and it's late though now on a Sunday night so tell you what we will let you go Um, thank you again though for for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast I'm sure we'll catch up with you again later in the season Um, we've got your favourite game to come as well later on and we'll do that in a couple of weeks time but Tom what thanks very much all the best thank you very much stand free cheers so in other news from Pataudry and Cormac Park this week well a bit of a quiet week really with um the Dons travelling to Atlanta during the World Cup break, uh, playing out an extremely dull 1-0 win over a team made up entirely of Atlanta United's under-17s and under-18s. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it? Yeah. You enjoyed the commentary? Mainly yeah. for the commentary, yeah. The game was awful. Um, um, one or two decent players in the Atlanta ranks who would not last a single half in Scottish football <laughs> if they ever fancied making the change. But um, yeah, I thought I was... Um, I didn't mind it. Great goal by Leighton Clarkson. Worldy. The kind of um, thing I pull off at goals. <laughs> no, it's not. Agree to disagree. 
I think all in all, I mean, the trip seems to be pretty good for like the kind of local expat AFC community in the area. There was obviously the big meetup they had um, after the game and from speaking to people who were at that, um, it looks like that went down really well, really good. I think the, the players, staff, etc., all made a lot of time to hang out with people there, which is good. Um, I guess it's a little bit easier to do that in smaller numbers and stuff, but that's all great. Just a shame that our link up with Atlanta meant that our players who are tonight watching the Atlanta Falcons appear to be up in the rafters. Um, <laughs> hanging from the rafters as uh, as good old JR would probably say. Never mind. However many years it's been since the uh, the chat, the link up with Atlanta was announced, it feels in a way like this is actually now the legitimate beginning of an actual genuine relationship with our between our two clubs, and hopefully we can look forward to similar trips in the future, and you know maybe even welcome the Atlanta side over for a, a friendly episode. Quite possibly. Anyway, um, the week itself got off to a bit of an odd start because the club and Aberdeen City Council appeared to enter into uh, a bit of a war of words, shall we say, around the potential of the new stadium at the beach. The Dons taking umbrage at a request from the council to confirm that we, that we had full funding in place for a new stadium at the beach ahead of the next council meeting uh, that deals with this matter on the 14th of December. Now, in fairness, it did appear as though it was a pretty odd and premature request from the council, given we're miles off any sort of decision point here. How on earth could we possibly confirm that we have uh, full funding for a stadium in play? And it did look as though that the club were waiting on some information from the council to allow them to even move on to the next stage in discussions with um, potential investors and lenders, etc. But for all the chat in recent months about how the club and the council have got the best relationship they've had in years, that appears to be disintegrating at a rapid rate of knots based on this week, wouldn't you say, Gav? Uh, yeah, the the dialogue is very much equivalent of a lot of passive-aggressive Facebook posts. <laughs> it's so true. Um, I've said it many times before, until I see a stadium with a scarf over its head, I don't really care about any of this, you know. Um, until I see Dave Cormack in a JCB with a hard hat on, breaking yeah, ground. Yeah, uh, Jim Goodwin, if he, wants to, if he wants to flex on that one. You know, all this kind of preemptive chat about you know the, the the foundations and the relationships with the council and all this all the proposals it, it's, it's inconsequential yeah it's it's been so long in the making i i'm kind of almost over it i'm going accept that we're just going to end up playing in a crumbling pitodry with you know the refuse of a fucking plague burial site just coming us over spilling into it at some point i think if you except that's where it's going to be then it's much better just to ignore all this stuff to be honest with you um which to be fair is kind of what i'm doing yeah I, i'm kind of starting to get to the same point myself now it's fair to say what i think is interesting is i do think the club have kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit on the beach stuff so far because they've made it very very clear to anyone that wants to listen to them that kingsford's not what we want to do um and in making such an overt public play from that perspective and then you know inviting people to submit letters and support the beach and running polls and all that kind of good stuff for this um it becomes very difficult from a pr perspective for them to roll back and suddenly go back to kingsford if that's what we end up doing um not that we can afford to do kingsford at the moment anyway um, <laughs> which brings us to the next part of the of our discussion i guess because to round the week off the annual accounts for the year ending 30th of june 2022 were always uh, were also released and um it's a shame graham is missing tonight because it would be good to have our resident accountant 
on the call to discuss. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at these, Gav, but um, um, they are, are what Alex call a grim read. There are some uh, some key statistics that I've picked out of the report that seem, how should I say, alarming. <laughs> but uh, let's go through it and uh, see what we make of it. Let's do it. Let's, let's see what we can do. Um, so an operating loss for the season of 5.29 million, which is an increase on the 5.19 million loss that we suffered uh, the season prior. Now, turnovers up. I I am no mathematician, but that over the course of two years equates to a loss of 10.48 million. It does. Good job. Which seems a lot. An operating loss. Which seems a loss. That seems like a lot for a middling Scottish (laughs) football team. Well, let's be honest, last season, failing. Middling would have been an improvement on last season, but never mind. I'm taking an average. Okay, excellent. Um, turnover up to 13.8 million from 11 million the season before, but that should be expected given last season, um, i.e. the one that the 11 million was based on, suffered from no fans being at any games for the entire season. Um, and despite the fact we had strong season ticket sales that season, um, there's obviously a lack of income coming in the door from things like corporate hospitality, etc., a big driver. So you'd expect our hospitality to... Uh, you'd expect our our turnover to increase um, in the run the year 21-22. Now that turnover of 13.8 million is slightly behind hearts. Always good, I think, just to compare yourself against uh, other teams here from this perspective. Their turnover number sitting at the 14.6 million mark for the season just gone from their uh, last set of accounts. Hearts appearing to really benefit from prize money here more than anything else. Uh, 3.1 million coming in the door at Tynecastle from prize money compared to our 1.9 million, which would be about the difference between finishing uh, 3rd and 10th, it's fair to say. That's all it is. It's not a huge amount. Bearing in mind as well, they also made it the Scottish Cup final um, as well. So yeah, it's what it is. Um, interesting though for us, gate receipts of just under £3 million for the season. That tells a story. One, some lingering effects of COVID in play. Uh, we did have restricted numbers in place for certain games. The Boxing Day in particular is one that sticks out where we only had 500 at that game. Um, and with, remember that weird drive that we had to keep crowds below 10,000 in order so we didn't have to do vaccine passports. Um, that really meant we limited away support numbers for likes of Hibs and Hearts. Um, at that same period as well, there was really bad storms, as I remember in Aberdeen. Uh, yep. There was that Livingston game, um, which attracted about 4,000. I think about 4,000, yeah. I want to say it was sub 6,000 anyway. So, so those things certainly didn't help in terms of our gate receipts. And then, let's be honest, piss poor performances on the park mean that, and lack of progress in the cups mean you've got lack of shares in semi-final, final gate receipts, uh, more games to play because you're in the cups for longer, and then drop-offs and crowds towards the back end of the season. So that figure of just under three million uh, for us for gate receipts is way, way, way down on the last regular season we had where there was unrestricted crowds which is the 2018-2019 season where gate receipts that season were 5.4 million so it's 2.4 million that are missing from yeah. um over that period of time Com- for comparison hearts's gate receipts last season were 5.2 million which is up around where we would have been in a season where we were doing okay and and, and doing well so that's a big number that we've we've dropped off on there in the main, a relatively good commercial performance. Uh, we've increased revenue in this area by £1.5 million over the season with an extra £300,000 of sponsorship, which brings us a total of £6.8 million on the commercial front, which is compared favourably to Hearts at £4.4 million. So fair, fair play to Rob Wicks and co. on this side. 
um, they do appear to be doing a pretty decent job on here. And I know that they're doing a lot more work in this area. So hopefully that can continue to grow. Significantly, investment in the playing squad appears to remain high. Uh, staff costs, of which a significant portion you would expect will be the playing squad. That's up from 9.3 million the season prior to 10.2 million. And the good thing, of course, is that with an increased revenue base is that our staff to revenue percentage has dropped this season to 74%. It was 85% last year. Now, this is an important metric in any business, but particularly one from a footballing perspective, you'd like to think that this will continue to fall over the next couple of years back below the 70% mark if we can continue to grow our revenue side. Now, interestingly, Hearts outpaid us on the staff cost front last season. Uh, their latest report showing £11.2 for that season. So that's a whole £1 million per extra paid over the course of the season by the Jambos to finish third. Bearing in mind as well, also included in the accounts will be the cost of offloading Stephen Glass and his management team, the acquisition of Jim Goodwin and Lee Sharp. Hopefully we don't need a repeat of that in next year's accounts. And there will also have been payoffs in there for the likes of uh, J. Manuel Thomas, who I think is probably the only player who left the club under con- had his contract terminated last season before it ended and would have had to have it a payoff. Um, yeah, I mean, he would have been, well, Scott Brown. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the chat at the time was Scott Brown left without taking a penny of what he was due. So uh, I don't, I'm not sure I'd believe that. <laughs> there would have been Stephen Glass and there would have been Alan Russell. I imagine Alan Russell's was pretty significant. Um, uh, Henry Appaloo. And Henry Appaloo. God, I forgot all about Henry Appaloo. What, for whatever he did. Um, yeah, but obviously Jet would have had a, a pretty chunky, a pretty chunky payoff, you'd imagine. I mean, those gold stakes in Dubai don't pay for themselves, Gav, do they? Uh, I guess the main thing that the the accounts show is, once again, just how much piss poor performance on the park really affects our accounts. And the disappointing thing, once again, is that we all knew going into last season what a golden opportunity it was to build our club going forward and missing out on Europe, missing out on guaranteed European football for the period that Hearts have now had this season is a real kick in the balls. I mean, it's going to mean Hearts are going to see a significantly improved turnover position for this season. Um, I imagine our accounts are going to have a bit of a challenge on them given the sheer level of turnover in our playing squad over the summer. Um, we didn't have to pay off a lot of people, but we've we've paid money for players to come in. You've still got guys like Joe Lewis, uh, Christian Ramirez, Marley Watkins in particular, the three I think about now who I imagine are on decent wedges but who are not really contributors. Um, Certainly not on the on the pitch, no. No, exactly. Um, this is a bit of a shame that the fees that we receive for like so Calvin Ramsey and then Lewis Ferguson, which are not included in the, the accounts that we're looking at here. Um, so when those are accounted for, they're in the main going to have to try and cover off some of the losses that we've suffered uh, during that 21-22 season so they're kind of being used to help us tread water rather than really helping us grow the the, the football club from that perspective. Um, we we did receive our COVID insurance loan um, as well, which does mean that our actual loss for the year sits at £2.1 million, not the operating loss of, of 5.2 we highlighted earlier on. That loss, the actual loss for the year of 2.1 is down 100000 from the year prior. But Gav, just your general thoughts on 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 the annual accounts after they've they've popped out from Kevin McIver 
its financial orifice. <laughs> the final point of COVID insurance loan, uh, the the critical word is loan. So uh, not insurance it? loan. Sorry, no, no, it's not a loan. It's our insurance payment. I don't know why I said that. Okay. Well, in that case, disregard what I was just about to say. Um, as if you didn't know it already. Just um, a symbol of just what a disastrous decision it was to bring in the previous manager and what he produced for the football club ultimately. And um, yeah, the hardest thing is, as you say, um, we threw away a chance of getting the club into a a position of guaranteed European football, no matter what happened um, in our initial results. And you take that money, you throw it on top of the, the money we've generated for Lewis Ferguson and Calvin Ramsey, it puts us in a in a really strong position to go forward and and build the club, um, not just from a playing perspective, but give it a lot of security um, to do to do other things. You know, just put money towards even just a stadium, for example. Um, yeah, I mean, when I first heard the report came out, the seventy four percent wages to turnover seems like a very high number to me. Um, I'm kind of surprised that given the the kind of money we've paid out to clubs for players, I'm kind of surprised to learn that that's actually come down in in a percentage from 85%. You think of, you know, we've spent, I think, speculation on about £2 million. You think with that kind of money, the kind of fees, the wages naturally will increase with that as well. Um, but they ha- in fairness, the, the, the fees have, the wages have gone up. The wages have increased by nearly a million. Yeah. But, in that season, uh, where yeah. the, the percentage comes down because we've the brought some more in. money in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, uh, and, and I mean, yeah, you think of like uh, the likes of Declan Gallagher and David Bates and Ojo and McGeeck. I mean, these guys must have been taking some substantial wages from our club to do, at the end of the day, you know, very, very little to make us uh, anything, anything more than a laughing stock in Scottish football. That's the kind of harsh reality of that situation. And there's still players, if there's any spe- if there's any truth in the speculation, how much, you know, for example, Ramirez is making, it's 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 borderline a criminal when you look at the um, the expenditure versus the results on the pitch. Um, yeah, a, a, reflect, a reflection of just a really, a sequence of very, very poor decisions. Um, yeah, a, an experiment that went, badly wrong and we've paid for it when in reality you know there's a case to me that we should have you know been bearing a lot of fruits of our of our labor of the investment in Lewis Ferguson and the work we did with Calvin Ramsey exactly because it it comes back to as well you know um we've actually done some really good business from an outgoing perspective on transfers in the last two or three seasons now with Scott McKenna Sam Cosgrove Lewis Ferguson Calvin Ramsey all netting us you know netting us some really really healthy um, cash in the door. Um, unfortunately for the McKenna and uh, Cosgrove deals, I mean, again, these things, it, it really depends how they're structured and when the money actually lands in your account. Um, but if you take it on a very kind of linear perspective, you know, the, the, the McKenna Cosgrove money comes in and helps with COVID. And so you think, okay, well, at least we were in a fortunate enough position that we were able to kind of get through that by selling a couple of players for for decent cash. And then, lo and behold, you've got a chance again now to really capitalise on that with the likes of uh, Ferguson and Ramsey. And then, to, to a certain extent, that money is just filling a hole that we shouldn't have to fill if we perform to budget. Don't get me wrong, I think 
with our playing model at the moment, with our with our business model at the moment, we probably are always running the risk of running at an operational loss per season, and we're probably gambling to an extent on selling players, uh, buying players in at relatively cheap rates, whether it's young players um, from Scotland and feeding them to the academy, or whether it's bring, bringing in young talent or talent, excuse me, from other leagues in Europe, like Samyovsky, Rambani, Duke. These kinds of guys with a view to then hopefully selling them on for profit later down the line. It's it's a business model that on one hand makes sense, but at the same time can be quite risky. Um, but what it does show is that you still need to have performance on the pitch, doesn't it, to help facilitate growth of your football club. Um, our gate receipts in particular are the ones that really kill us in the last 12 months. Um, and, and those for me come down to well, there, there is there is an after effect of COVID. Of course there is. We didn't have full crowds in for a period. The club made that daft as fuck decision about the less than 10,000 thing that no other club in Scotland, I think, tried to um, try to enforce. Lack of progress in the Cups. You know, those do bring extra games and those games are all money generators because they're not included in your season ticket price. Um, not getting to semi-finals and finals because at those stages the 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 gate receipts for both semi-finals are pulled between the four teams um not making it to finals and the same with the hearts did that's big kickers big big fucking yeah. kickers um into our yeah. budget and i know that the club tend to budget for um you know semi-final positions at least so you know and of and of course just over the course of the season pitaudry becoming a less and less appealing place to come oh, and yeah. watch football because the the standard of the football was was absolute dross yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And you can see that as the, as the season progressed. I mean, the attendance is towards the back end. You know, you're not getting people rocking up to Pataudra yeah. in the last day of the season to watch Aberdeen St. Mirren, for example, um, Aberdeen Livingston in the fucking bottom six or whatever. It's just not going to happen. Um, all in all, not great. Needs to improve. We can't continue to keep running off at operating losses of the kind of magnitude of that last two seasons in particular uh, year on year. I know that Dave Cormack and that have said that they're going to stand in and cover the shortfalls and stuff and that's fine and that's great and that's appreciated but you can only rely on that for for so long it's fair to say um so yeah like i say if juventus want to step in with a 40 million pound bid for lewis ferguson <laughs> right but now would be a good time to think about doing it on to loan watch nothing for conor mclennan this week obviously world cup break in the premiership but lower down the leagues there's still footballing action on the go if you can over the next few weeks Try and get out there, try and catch a game in the lower league supports um, some of the clubs who might be nearest to you. Kierna Gwenya, full 90 minutes for Wraith, um, but they were humped 5-2 by Queen's Park at Starks Park in the Championship. Mason Hancock not in the matchday squad for our broth. Chat that he's uh, picked up a serious injury. Oh, has he? Season could be over. Oh dear, not good, not good. Um, are both beaten 3-0 by Park Thistle in the championship as well. Evan Tyler, he was away with the Scotland under-19, so he missed out on Cove's 2-1 defeat to Greenock Morton uh, at the Balmoral on Saturday. Tom Ritchie, full 90 minutes for him, as Peter Head were beaten 2-0 by Dunfermline at Balmer in League 1. Uh, Kev Hanrati, last-minute substitute for Forfar as they sought out a Desmond at the Rock in League 2. Friend of the show, Greg Wilde, with the opener for Dumbarton on this one. D. 
Dean Campbell, an unused sub, as Stevenage drew 1-1 with Grimsby Town in League 2 down south. Stevenage remaining in second place. Nothing screams English League 2 like Stevenage versus Grimsby. Absolutely. Uh, Grimsby scored an injury time equaliser, so Steve Evans obviously out of the brown envelopes once again. When your luck's out, your luck's out. Uh, no game for the young team this week. There's a number of under-18s away with the first-team squad in Atlanta. Some of them are big loons, like looking at those photos. They've been eating their Weetabix, some of those boys. Yeah, actually, some, uh, some, some talented players. I mean, I think um, Emsley, Marshall and Lobbin made a, made a big difference when they came on the second half. So a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I agree. I thought they all did very well. Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought all three of those players in particular did well. So fair fucks to those lads. Um, hopefully we're talking about them on the show more often going forward. Uh, on the women's team, a bad afternoon at the office. Uh, a 4-1 defeat to Motherwell in SWPL 1. Yeah, Gav's making that face. Okay, Motherwell, honestly. Yeah, not a good, not a good uh, performance at all there, unfortunately. Next up for the women's team is a trip to Dungeon United next Sunday. Uh, they're playing that at Tannadice, actually. Next Sunday, they're playing that game at Tannadice. Well, they, they can't put any worse effort than the men did. <laughs> I was going to say, hopefully that goes better than the men's team. And uh, Gav, I think that wraps up part one of this week's show. What do you say? I would say so. Let's uh, Let's take a little break and we'll come back with my favourite game. Excellent. Join us on the other side as we chat with Martin Stone about his favourite game. Yeah, not my favourite game. My favourite game. My favourite game. With Martin Stone, but not my favourite game. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And yes, it's that time of the year where we need to talk about Christmas. Book your Christmas night out at Siberia Bar Hotel, who are offering area hire, buffet platters and a welcome drink for as little as £30 per person and it all kicks off from the 1st of November. Book early to avoid disappointment. Contact Scott at Siberia-Aberdeen.com That's Scott at Siberia-Aberdeen.com for more details. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast and before we move on to my favourite game with Martin Stone, just want to give a shout out to Craig Gardner. Craig! Presumably not Craig Gardner who used to play for Aston Villa. And Birmingham, Birmingham City. And Sunderland and... Sunderland, that's where he was. All kinds of dross. Thank you, uh, Craig, for your contribution to the ABZ Football Podcast Beer and Coffee Fund. Uh, we'd like to thank our regular monthly contributors as well. We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. Links in the description. Shout us a beer or a coffee. It is absolutely much appreciated. Yeah, your money is going to much better causes than, say, if you paid for a stay at the one of the fan zones in Qatar. Oh, brutal, brutal stuff. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just watch the Firefest movie on Netflix. <laughs> You'll get an idea. Yeah. We had a great response to our first installment of 
actually, before we go into that, Gav, uh, you and Graham did a good job last week in my absence. Thank you, Thank you for keeping the uh, the seat warm. Yeah, gotta keep that train. Uh, gotta keep that train running. That's why you become the longest running weekly episodic Aberdeen FC podcast on the market. I don't know if that's even true. That is true. That is definitely true. <laughs> we haven't missed a week. As some weeks, we even do more than one. Exactly. We are absolutely. I'm. I'm going to say it right now. We are absolutely the longest running episodic weekly <laughs> Aberdeen FC podcast. There we go. It struck me earlier in the week and I thought it was funny. And I know that the people out there who like their niche wrestling references who will like that. So that's yeah, all it counts. Absolutely. By the way, yeah, that American commentator in Atlanta, don't you start talking about receipts being left on opponents. <laughs> I did like uh, Mark. Mark's a guy who contributes regularly to the Kofi uh, account, but also has some great banter on Twitter. I very much enjoyed his statement that the match looked like it was being directed by Kevin Dunn. Yeah, yeah, hot yeah. marks for that excellent stuff. Love it. Anyway, um, we had a great response to our first installment of my favorite game with uh, Donkey Shearer. Fucking Donkey Shearer, man. What a guy. Fucking love him. Just, I feel like with Duncan, I just want to sit down and just have a pint, maybe a cup of cocoa. A bona fide Don's legend and just an all round nice man. Yeah, just fucking great guy. Just happy to shoot the shit about the Don's uh, no matter what. A man I, I sense that. I, I, and I get this with a lot of guys we've spoken to, just doesn't quite realise what he means to Aberdeen. Yeah, I, I think the same as well. I I agree with that. Um, speaking which of which, him, which makes him all the more likeable. Speaking of which, I really actually enjoyed, because I, I, I never listen to the show when it goes out, because why would I put myself back through the period of time we've spent listening or, or talking to each other? Why would I do it? It makes literally no sense. But because I wasn't here last week, I did decide to download it so I could listen to it on the flight back just to make sure you and Gav, uh, Graham hadn't slagged me off excessively. Um, I enjoy the casting aspersions about me being in Sydney. I definitely wasn't in Sydney. I was in a much, 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 much colder place than that. Um, a lady doth protest too much. <laughs> but I'd never listened back to the Alex DeRocco interview either after we did it, and I wasn't sure how it came across. And um, I know we've seen it from the feedback we've had. On the whole, came across really well, actually, I think. Um, I really enjoyed it. A bit different from the ones we've obviously done in more recent um, times. A, a guy with a very, very short period of time at Aberdeen. But I think it's always interesting to get um, some chat out of these guys about their career and all that kind of stuff. And um, I know that Alex is delighted with with how it's been received um, online and everything. So if you've, not, if you've not listened to it yet, please uh, go back to episode 71, have a listen to it. We have managed to maybe potentially secure an even more obscure guest a, a, an individual that could cross the ball as well as david beck yes um that's all we'll say about that just now um anyway it's, it's not stephen Payne. anyway my favorite game great response to the initial episode with Douglas sheeter um, we're gonna continue to do this let's we're gonna get a mixture of fans ex-players managers whatever on the show to talk about your favorite aberdeen game if you'd like to get involved please message us on twitter uh, you can send us a dm there um or mastodon because twitter might break um go to our twitter we, we did a twitter thing um where i linked to all of our other social media sites um follow some of those if you want to keep following it's just in the off chance that elon does something mental or you know the site goes down like one of his rockets oh, fuck knows um or email us maybe maybe we're gonna have to communicate by email now gav but we have to have a mailing list 
Yeah, I mean, I'm almost like in the position of like maybe we should set up like a PO box. <laughs> Carrier pigeons. <laughs> Graham can reply to fan. That can be Graham's job going forward. I'd love it. I'd love the idea, but Graham having to deal with fan post. Can you imagine giving out Graham's actual home address on here and just seeing what happened? <laughs> no, because there would be a PO box, so he'd he'd like walk to that every day. Collect get, the old get fan more mail. Of steps up for his Gothenburg challenge. And he doesn't need any more steps. He's fucking crushing this. So maybe I should do it instead. Yeah, that's it. We'll give away your your local PO box. Anyway, uh, hit us up on Twitter, DM us, or one of the other social media sites, or you can email us at abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com before Elon Musk buys Google and then we're all totally fucked. Um, tell us what game you'd like to talk about, why you've picked it. Could be for any reason you want. Could be your first game, could be the game that gets you hooked into following the dawns. There might be something silly about it, there might be something sentimental about it. Whatever it is, just don't make it Gothenburg um, 83. Just don't make it Bayern Munich 83 or 08, because we all know about them. But now, anyway, we're going to bring you part two of my favourite game. It's the turn of Well Kent Don's fan, Martin Stone. Uh, he's going to talk to us through his favourite game. It's a bit of a funny one. It's like one that you weren't expecting, but he picked Aberdeen 3, Rangers 2 from August 2005. So here it is, my favourite game with Martin Stone. Martin Stone, welcome back to the show. How's it going, mate? Evening. I am good, thanks. You? I am all right. I am not too bad at all. I am good looking stuff. forward to getting a, a chin wag with you about your favourite game. You've selected Aberdeen 3, Rangers 2, Petodre Stadium, the 14th of August 2005 in the league. So before we guess we get started in a bit more of a deep dive in the game and everything, why this game out of all of the games you could have picked? Yeah, well, it's weird because I it, obviously seen the tweet you'd put up and that was... It, instantly first one that came to my mind and then as soon as I tweeted it I thought eh, is it really my, <laughs> is it really my favourite game it's maybe a little bit hasty but well I it must have something going for it if it was the first one that sprung to mind I mean there's there's loads obviously and then there's there's the the League Cup final uh, victory obviously or the other one that came to mind well like that whole kind of UEFA Cup run under Calderwood there was mm-hmm. some unbelievable games there the Bayern Bayern game the Copenhagen game they were they were unbelievable but um, I, I, I kind of had a, a bit more I think about why this one came to mind so quickly and I think it's just because I mean it was a nothing game at the end of the day it was, it was a league game in August I think it was the second game of the season I think ultimately we finished sixth that season I looked up so it didn't, it didn't yeah. really count for anything in the long run but I think what it was it came it ended like a massive um, run that we had against Rangers of not winning against them in the league. I think it counted. It was like yeah, seven years, like what was it, 26 games in the league that, I that we, we hadn't beat them. Yeah, I, I did that. I did, I did the geekery <laughs> to back it up. The hashtag so. data. <laughs> exactly. 26 games in the league that we'd gone against them without winning. Um, I started going to Pataudry, like, you know, week in, week out, or going home and away with Aberdeen week in, week out, like 99, 2000. Um, so by you know 2005, I'd seen so many Rangers games where we were just really, really bad. But then other ones where we came close and you know, it'd be down to Ibrox and done the beanbacks to Petodri. If you remember them, oh we'd, that's right, yeah, couple yeah. Of times I I've done all of that, you know, and we'd we'd just I we'd never even looked like it really, um, you know, for a couple of seasons previous to this. 
And then just out of nowhere, really, you know, it was kind of totally unexpected. I think we'd lost the previous week to Kelly at home. That's right, yeah. First, first home game of the season. And uh, aye, so that kind of all building up. But I think it was just, you know, the surprise, the relief. It was a big crowd in Petordia that day. The place was bouncing by the end. The whole kind of afterwards as well, you know, town, it was mental. Um, so I, I think it was just a combination of all of that, really. And um, I, as much as all the other games I mentioned were, you know, brilliant in their own way, this one, I just, just always Something stands about out. It. I just always stands out as being, as being a wee bit special. This is what we were after, though. And like anyone listening in, like if you, because when you when you when you tweet something like this out, it's, you're going to get all the obvious ones, like you know, Gothenburg or like Munich '83 or Munich you know, the, the Jimmy Caldwell one or like yeah. uh, Copenhagen or Warshire or whatever. You're going to get all the really obvious ones. And so I'm really keen to get more of these types of kind of like slightly off the wall. No one's really going to necessarily think it for a particular reason, but there's going to be something about it that makes it a favourite game for somebody out there for some yeah. reason. Um, and you kind of touched on it. It's the first league win over Rangers since 98, which was a 1-0 win, uh, courtesy of Stephen Glass's header, um, which put a massive dent in Rangers as 10 in a row hopes that season as well so that was kind of funny um and you kind of touched on it because i guess for context again for younger listeners out there um this would have been jimmy caldwell's second season um mm-hmm. the first season was pretty good i thought with jimmy like we because of where we'd been as well like with the patterson you know in particular um jimmy came in we came fourth his first season as i recall missed out on europe on goal difference on the last day yeah um and we made some really good signings in this close season because we had like Barry Nick, uh, Stevie Lovell, Jamie Smith in particular, the three that jumped in mind that kind of came in. And you think, ah, cool, we're going to maybe try and like kick on a wee bit here. Because again, under the kind of back end of Scovedale, certainly the Partisan era, it was all about penny pinching and not like actually bringing in anyone. And suddenly we bought in Severin the season before and then Nicholson and Lovell in particular, you know, first team players from other teams in the, in the Premier League and then Jamie Smith who'd mm-hmm. also come back from Holland. So I think... Can you remember, were you as well thinking coming at this season, here we go, like this is us going to start to hopefully kick on a wee bit more and the good times might be kind of coming back? Aye, definitely, definitely. As you say, um, Calderwood had kind of taken back a wee bit of respectability the season before, after the, the shambles it was was Patterson. And I it seemed to be a bit more of a feel-good kind of factor in the club. Um, we'd been really in the doldrums for, for a couple of seasons there. I remember being really excited about the level signing. I, I thought, Here's, this guy's going to score score a load of goals for us. And he scored that day against Rangers as well. It was a great, great finish. And uh, aye, we, just, we, looked, we looked like a good team going forward. Anderson was still there at centre-half. McNaughton um, was 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 doing well. Um, there was still a couple of remnants of the Patterson era. I was looking at a lineup for this game. Scott Muirhead was in there. So one that stuck out like a, a sore thumb, but I, you know, the team looked like it could do something. There was some. You look back on guys like Nicholson and Severin. I don't think we really appreciated how how decent, you know, how good players they were at the time. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, there was definitely an era of optimism. Um, as I said, we'd lost the game, the first game of the season, um, the week before Achille, which maybe <laughs> typical Aberdeen fashion, you know, you get of yourself course. get yourself worked up and then brought straight back down to earth. But aye, it was it was still an early season optimism. It was a sunny day. It was you know a big crowd, as I said, and I, I like I, it, there was a buzz about the place. You know, it was kind of 
Aye, everybody was feeling good about themselves, and we got into that kind of we got into an early two goal lead, and you know the buzz the buzz around the place was was unbelievable. Let's just go into that quickly. Let's go, let's go into a bit more of a dive in the game itself. So obviously, like you say, we can come into the game and the season hasn't started as well as I think most people would hope. We had a one-one draw at Tandice in the opening of the season, uh, Barry Nicholson with the equaliser because Lee Miller right, scored okay. for United right. yeah. um, after having turned us down in the summer um, to go there. And then, yeah, a 2-1 home defeat to Kelly, That's right, first I... home game. And Rangers come, obviously, to Pataudry as champions. Um, Art Kokish is uh, the manager uh, of Rangers as well. As point, I touched on it earlier on, 18, 000, over 18,000 in attendance. Sunny Sunday afternoon in August, mm-hmm. live on Satanta Sports. Remember them? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a Don's starting lineup: Ryan Essen goals back for Kev McNaughton, Russell Anson, Xander Diamond, Scott Muirhead, midfield four of Scott Severin, Gary Dempsey. Remember Gary Dempsey? Yeah, Gary Dempsey. Barry Nicholson and Chris Clark, and it was kind of Jamie Smith was kind of playing in the hole. I think just supporting. Stevie Lovell. Sounds right. Aye. As I remember it, um, I think it was a pretty even first kind of half an hour. I think both teams were kind of probing a lot, but this was also back in the day where there was still a lot of like proper tackles flying in between both player, both sets of teams. Early doors, I think, if I remember rightly, Lovenkrans and Bob Malcolm <laughs> got booked quite early on. I think Barry Nicholson and Russell Anderson got booked from our side, and then it all kind of kicks off again. Like there's that half hour mark, first goal. Dempsey floats a ball in. Steve Lovell's kind of efforts blocked. Falls to Russell Anderson. Brilliant wee diving header. Sticking his noggin in where he's going to get yeah. smashed in the head, which he does. Um, gets us off and running. And you could Anderson scored the week before as well, actually. So he was two, two and two home games at this point um, from a guy who didn't score an awful lot of goals. But it was amazing. I think, I always think in games like this, it's so important to get the first goal, isn't it? Aye, definitely aye. So yeah, your 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 memories are kind of same as mine. There, I, I refresh my memories just and I had a I had a wee sneaky look at the, the highlights, Satanta highlights the other day. So aye, you're right. That 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 first goal uh, comes from an unbelievable tackle by Bob Malcolm. It's brilliant, he, isn't it? Ab- <laughs> like a, it would be a red card nowadays, without a shadow of doubt. He just absolutely sized down uh, McNaughton. I think it is just wipes him out and uh, aye. Crowder just, you know, paying for blood. I foaming at the mouth at that point. Ball gets swung into the box. As you say, I gets a wee touch on and Anderson headlong through the boots, uh, diving header. And uh, it's an iconic celebration, actually. Gets up, he's like, he's dazed from yeah, getting like, Where a, the fuck am I? Boot in the face, basically. I it dances about for a couple of seconds and like basically falls to the deck with blood pissing out of his forehead <laughs> <laughs> while there's madness all around him. So I, it's, uh, I always felt iconic. that Russell's celebration here reminded me a bit of Willie's celebration when he scored against Celtic to clinch. Aye, yeah, yeah. 84? Yeah. 84, yeah. That kind of like fence, uh, fist clenched, you know, just pure Got emotion. same vibe thing. about it, does it? It does, doesn't it? The same end of the ground as well, aye. And it's, aye, he's pure, you can see he's totally buzzing with it and the adrenaline obviously gets him through at first 10 seconds before the, the reality of the concussion sets in a wee bit. Before Xander Diamond piles on the back of him, <laughs> uh, like a big yeah. lake at Egypt that he is, delighted with the fact we scored against Rangers, presumably, uh, given his uh, his dispositions, shall we say. Um, at this time as well, I, I always remember thinking it was like this season, maybe the season before actually, I think when Cold was first here, this season and then the, the following one where we had Anderson... That is absolute prime, I thought. 
Aye, uh, it was. Uh, you, you always remember that game against Celtic where he did the Gravison, the Gravison tackle. I must. I'm not sure if it was that season or the season after. Season but, after, yeah. Aye, uh, he was. He was right at the top of his game then. Um, you can, even in this, even in the highlights of this Rangers game, he's crunching into tackles, and uh, you can see why he got his move uh, off the back of it. He was. He was definitely kind of coming to the coming to the peak. Absolutely. Uh, just a leader as well, you know. You can see it. He's got a few young lads around about him. He's got Xander Diamond, who probably needed a fair bit of coaching <laughs> on the park to get him through games. And ah, uh, he's he's that kind of totem um, for for a team. Uh, uh, yeah, great stuff. Seven minutes later, we double the lead, which is the kind of unheard of thing from Aberdeen, isn't it? Really, when we get our noses in front against Old Firm, we always seem to get a bit cagey. We shit the bed and concede really quickly afterwards. And that yeah. does come in a minute, but. <laughs> we do get to double the lead briefly and it's a brilliantly worked goal isn't it like Smith and Nicholson that pass into Stevie Lovell and this is what I think everybody I remember watching this and thinking holy shit if Lovell's going to be able to do this every week we're going to be fucking laughing because he takes a fantastic first touch leaves Bob Malcolm fucking wondering where he is and it's a great finish a, a first goal in red for Stevie Lovell when I was like at this point just honestly I was thinking we're going to win the fucking lot if he starts playing like this <laughs> aye, aye, that's exactly it. I think even you know even seasons later when Lovell was clearly not going to cut the mustard for us I still gave him you know slack because of that goal I still thought oh, he's got it in him you know he just needs to rediscover that form but I it, it, it's a brilliant brilliant first touch to get him away from Malcolm great finish the build up to it, even before the the Nicholson um, kind of pass through him is great as well. Tackles flying in yeah. in the middle of the park, you know, exactly what you want to see against against one of the old firm. Um, I, I we, we do brilliantly to kind of snuff out their attack. Couple of passes were up the park and, and levels in, and uh, and slots it away. And by that point, the, the place has gone absolutely mental. As you say, normally you're a lot of the time you're you're sitting back and you know trying to protect that lead but in fact we've what was it like seven minutes later did you say yeah seven, we'd got, yeah. Uh, seven minutes later we'd gone up the park and made it two and i uh, it was just after as i said that run of defeats leading up to it, it was you know kind of dreamland stuff at that point it was surreal can you mind where were you sitting in the ground for this uh, i would have been in the section why I've, I've been there for Pretty much since the year, I think I had a couple of couple of seasons in the upper deck, Donald, and then moved moved into the Y after that. So I'd have been in the Y, and the Y in day, days like that was it, well, it still is brilliant. You know, with the, with the sun shining and some of the characters you get in there for, for the big games. Uh, it was I remember it was just bodies everywhere. You know, folk tumbling doing rows and folk ending up ten rows away from where they started, and uh, it was. I, I, that's one of the things that makes it so kind of memorable for me mm-hmm. is that the celebrations was just <laughs> unbelievable. That's what it's uh, all about, though, isn't it? That's what that's, that's exactly. football's all about. I remember we were we would have been at this point, I think, the three of us in the show, I, I'm sure our season ticket this year would have been upstairs in Dick Donald, I think. I'm pretty certain it would have been. And I, I can think now, looking thinking back, I, I think I can distinctly remember, because up there you get such a great view of just the whole build-up and everything that takes place. And just mm-hmm. being like, it was like watching like a video game. You know, in terms of like a, how perfect a goal this was, one from level. But of course, typically for Aberdeen, um, two goal lead doesn't last very long. Um, Dado Perso rises unchallenged for a corner kick to head past Essen before Fernando Rickson gets booked for a foul on Scott Seven. There'll be more on that to come later. Yeah. Uh, Half time, two one though. It kind of felt all to play for a little bit. It felt like we were kind of. I never felt at this point. I don't think that we were in control of the game. 
because it had been pretty blood and thunder, I think, from both teams. And you always have that nervousness about only being a goal up. And then, um, as is our way, typically, in the second half, and Rangers get an equaliser pretty much straight off the bat. Now, as much as it pains me to say it, it's a pretty good goal, isn't it? Ah, I, I was convinced at the time because we were right beside that, and I'm even more convinced now. A ball was out before they crossed it in. I, I think, is it Stevie Thompson? Possibly? I think he was a half-time sub, yeah. I think. Aye, yeah, I think he came on, and the ball's kind of running out for a goal kick, and he manages to whip in this cross, but to me it looks like a good foot over the line before he manages to wrap his foot around it. Anyway, he gets across in, and Lovenkranz pulls off a ridiculous overhead kick. <laughs> you know, stupid. I, a really good keeper would have struggled with, but Ryan Essen, <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no chance. So, I, yeah, I think that was, yeah, pretty much right after half time, wasn't it? You just, I think everybody just thought, ah, here we go again. Yeah, exactly. Know, it's, it's just typical. Too it? good to be true. You know, two goals up and we managed to, we managed to throw it away. And that was a, to be fair to them, that was a, a half decent Rangers, you know, team, especially going forward, there was they'd Perso, they had Loving Clans, Novo on his day was a decent player as well, as much as it pains me to say. Um so aye, they were they were a decent team. They had some nasty bastards in there as well. They had Brixen, they had Malcolm, they had Ferguson, who I everybody kinda loved to hate as well. So uh, it had all the elements of a Rangers team that you'd you'd love to beat. <laughs> exactly, I, I'm convinced Lovenkrantz shins it. To be honest, I don't. <laughs> did, I'm trying to think. Did did another Rangers player score an overhead kick against us a few seasons later? Um, um, Croatian boy up top, not personal. Oh, uh, Jelovic was it? Jelovic. Uh, he could well have. Did been. he do it as well? Yeah, or did maybe well the other end possibly? I remember yeah, looking at it at the time and thinking, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you don't see goals like that very often. And then for two of them to come from them is, like, fucking unbelievable. Anyway, we get... I don't want to say we get fortunate here that they have an absolute idiot in the former Fernando Rickson on the park. Um, <laughs> 55 minutes, he gets his second booking after a late block on Kev McNaughton. McNaughton does quite well here, I think, to make sure the referee sees it. Oh, aye. Yeah. Be- Let's be polite about it. Rickson has to take the long walk down the main stand side. And I'm sure, was this the was this the year after he'd been giving it big licks to the support and some boy got on from the Dick Donaldin? I remember that the well, I hoofed him up a whole lie. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's lucky to be on the park for as long as he was. Uh, the one he'd been booked for in the first half was probably a sending off nowadays he absolutely lunged and he did another one in the first half where he he went over the ball That's um, right, yeah. so I, I yeah McNaughton made the most uh, the actual sending off but he had it coming but uh, even then you're like surprised that a referee sends off a, a Rangers player at Pitodi for you know for something like that so uh, I think got a wee bit of luck well, it could only have been a couple of years removed from well I remember Ferguson at the Merkland end, bringing down, I want to say Harold Stavrum, Mike McCurry was a ref and like basically came out after the game and basically said he couldn't send, oh, he couldn't give the penalty could... because he'd had to send, maybe it was Barry yeah. Ferguson, was it? But then he kung fu tackled Darren Young, Rickson, I think. That was Rickson at kung fu. Yeah. Rickson had a few at Pataudry, did he? Rickson, for being a guy who like was pretty well experienced by this point in his career, there was something about Pataudry that seemed to really rattle him. Aye, although listening back to it yesterday, it, they said that was his fifth sending off in five seasons, Rickson. So it was, aye, he, he had a reputation, I mean, let's face it. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then from this point on, and I, again, I kind of went back to look at some of the highlights as well um, last couple of days. We absolutely battered them for the next 40 minutes, um, but just can't seem to get 
anything. Um, I remember a young Richard Foster coming on for Muirhead. Talk about a dream sub right there. Um, Johnny Stewart replaces uh, Gary Dempsey. And Johnny Stewart. Justice, though, oh, Stephen Craig came off the bench as well for Stevie Lovell. Oh, I remember him, boy. This was Stevie Craig's last league appearance for Aberdeen. He got shifted on um, after this game. And just like it looked as though they were going to hold out for a point, um, Jamie Smith kind of introduces himself to the Aberdeen support, doesn't he? Oh, aye. What a way to do it as well. Unbelievable. He'd, I think he'd, he'd kind of, he'd been on the fringes that game. Yeah. He'd, he'd, he hadn't really done too much. As you say, he was playing in that kind of hole behind level. But um, aye, yeah, what what a goal. Um, for Yeah, I, I think that's one of the most memorable Pottori goals for me as well. Um, even, you know, thinking about now, it's hairs on the back of the neck stuff. His, uh, his first touch, a kind of ball comes spinning back to him about, what are we talking, 25 yards out maybe? First yeah. touch just sets it perfectly. And it's one of them. He just he hits it and it's bending away from the keeper a full time. And from from a while, you could see it just heading straight into the corner. You know, we were celebrating before he even hit it back and it go, oh my God, when, that, when the ball finally went in. It was the scenes around us were just unbelievable because of the point that you know Rangers were doing to ten men. It was what five minutes left, something like that. Yeah. We knew at that point that I was you know that hoodoo was finally that was it finally over and we'd we'd beat him. Uh, and uh, it was uh, as I say, even just describing it now, hairs on the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. It was it was unbelievable. Great technique for it as well. It's a brilliant hit. It really is. In 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 the pressure situation, you know when it comes. I mean, how often do you see guys just like? lash at that and it flies about 20 yards over the bar mm, um, yeah i remember as well because of where we were sitting in the dick donald it was one of those goals that because of where it is you couldn't actually see the ball hit the net you just had to kind of go on what everyone else was doing you kind of you were like that looks like it's kind of close but is it going to go in is it going to hit the post and you just see everyone going bananas and yeah it was the same up there i think you know folk are just in i can't remember what role i probably ended up in god knows <laughs> um because i think as well for some like Graham on the podcast because Graham only started coming to Pitodge regularly the kind of 2001, 2001 his first ever game was the Celtic snowball game the 2-0 oh aye okay yeah so Graham had never seen us do anything of any note against um, against Rangers I think it was a 2-2 drop Pitodre. Um maybe Leon Mike did Leon Mike score in that one I think he did and Darren Mackey did Isabel. Oh, but, uh, yeah. there we go a Darren Mackey and Leon Mike double against Rangers <laughs> um, so he'd never seen this you know that this this was all new to him as well and I think for a lot of people it almost was you know for how long it had been since we'd um, got one over them unbelievable and I, I can remember leaving Pataudra that day thinking right with our new signings now that kind of result just hopes you really kind of like kick on and we're going to have a great season but not really to be, was it? No, it wasn't an end, but I think we were the same. We, 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 well, I normally a game against Rangers, you would have been plodding up the road, a wee bit crestfallen that we'd, we'd lost against them again. So, I uh, coming out of there, we were just totally on a high, as you say, probably dreaming of you know, ridiculous things like winning the league and <laughs> doing it, doing the treble. But, uh, yeah, as you say, it was a Sunday afternoon. We were straight to the pub afterwards, and yeah, I I just started my very first job after leaving uni um, a couple of weeks beforehand, and that was me phoning in sick on the Monday <laughs> <laughs> because the afterwards was just so so mental. We ended up in uh, in Exodus, um, if you remember, uh, above uh, above Triple Kirk's uh, place was absolutely bouncing um, till till closing time. You know, just. Don's fans everywhere. My mate got chucked out because he he was dancing about 
pretty much just in his pants at one point. He's <laughs> as you do. <laughs> just slipped down to barely, barely, uh, barely anything, and uh, it was just, just like, you know, the the night after it was almost as kind of good as the game itself. It was so, so memorable. A lot of stuff that could probably couldn't be broadcast on here, but um, <laughs> it was, it was a great night. So, I. Uh, yeah, um, unbelievable. So after talking about it again, you still you still happy that that is what you picked? That's your selection. Aye, I think so. I, I'm I'm happy that it's a, a left field one. You know, I think there'll be plenty of folk that go with cup finals and won't be allowed in games and allowed. things like that. Aye, but no, that for me, um, you know, kind of all the years I hurt against Rangers and aye, it's a good one to, to look back on. It's not not that often we beat him, so it was a. Definitely, definitely a good one. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we just touched on there. I mean, I think we all left, we told you that, that afternoon, thinking this was going to be it. And, well, followed up with a 2-0 defeat at Hearts the following week. To be fair, Hearts <laughs> were going well this season. This is the season that George Burley there to start with. So, you know. Aye, they finished, they finished second, second, didn't they? They, they qualified they, yeah. for a Champions League. Eh? Well, yeah. Champions League qualifiers. Let's not give yeah. them the full credit. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> Probably got relegated the season after, so... <laughs> absolutely, that's what they do, isn't it? And then uh, a quarter-final exit to Mother One League Cup, out of the Scottish Cup to Hearts again in the fourth round, and then uh, it finished in sixth. And as I remember that season, Inverness Cali finished seventh, but with the split, they ended up with a points tally, which meant they should have finished fourth, I think. So pretty disappointing. Um, and then it all really kind of came together, really. I think when everyone thought this was going to come together this season it was the following season that all really came together when we actually yeah. managed to get another memorable uh victory against uh rangers to to know to know last day of the season to, to secure a return Aye, right that's right of course i and yeah. i suspect that somebody might pick that one as a favorite game as well um but martin listen mate pleasure again to have a little wander down memory lane with you um thank you so much for joining us i know thanks for asking me it's been there uh, always uh always chuffed to discuss <laughs> Discuss things like that on a, a rainy Tuesday night. And while we're talking, um, this is going to go out probably not anywhere close to when we're actually talking about it, but Rangers have just gone 2-0 down to Ajax tonight. So they are oh. one goal away, I think, from being the worst team ever in Champions League history. So um, fingers crossed for that. What a shame that would be. Absolutely. Martin Stone, pleasure to have you again. Stand free. Cheers. So Gav, great stuff from Martin, um, as always. Abbey three, Rangers two. Yeah, we were both at that game. So I don't we know. Were. Do you have a, a quick, a, a quick natter about that one? I've done a lot of digging on that game and the time that Scottish Bowl was in and the time that Aberdeen were in as well, specifically and Rangers actually for that matter. Um, you go back and you think like Aberdeen were coming out of the the doldrums of you know Ebby's time had had finished up and we'd went through the Steve Patterson regime um i don't want to talk about it too much because i think about steve patterson all i can see is him huddled over in livingston uh to light a attempting um unsuccessfully to to light a cigarette in the dugout as we were on our way to getting papped out of the cup by the livy lions um i think that in that first season with jimmy calderwood a lot of the building blocks were put in place for aberdeen to become no longer the the laughing stock we'd been I mean, even when things were improving under Ebby, you know, a a seven, five, six, seven nil drubbing at the hands of the old firm was always just around the corner. Um we finished bottom of the league under Ebsco Vidal and then we got knocked out of the Europe by Bohemians and he re- yet remained a popular manager. <laughs> right, this is the thing. Like how how times have changed. Imagine if we were doing a podcast when Ebsco Vidal was 
in his first season of Aberdeen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know we got to two cups, but let's cup finals, but let's be fair, we weren't in either of them um, at any point. I mean, the Rangers game's got the anomaly of Jim Layton getting crocked in about two minutes and we don't have a goalkeeper on the bench. Um, Which in a way sums up the whole Evsko Vidal thing, though. It, it just for a while became funny. Um, oh, yeah, but I mean, like I say, if you just fast forward that time to 20 years, fast forward that to present day, it's, yeah. not, it's not funny. But yeah, I mean, Jimmy, I think, came in and, you know, I think he saw the deficiencies. I think he, in that first season, made us just a, a much more difficult team to to beat. I can think of so many games where we we won that game. Like We were doing games like by one goal to nil. I think I remember a game against Inverness, Cali Thistle, up there. Noel Whelan scored within like five minutes and we just, it was a back-to-the-wall performance. And we just, we saw out. And then in that summer, you know, we we bring in Baden Nicholson, who, you know, that's the kind of player I still to this day want Aberdeen to be trying to sign, like just going around the our com- competition and like saying like, okay, that guy's their best player. Let's go and get him in for ourselves because we can offer more than... I don't know, you know, Jamie Smith had played enough for Celtic I think he'd even scored against Aberdeen um, in a Celtic career. Had gone to Holland, done well with them, with Den Haag. That's an exciting player. And then, you know, in Steve Lovell, um, I've, I rated Steve Lovell so highly when he was at Dundee. I thought we'd gone about this and signed one of the best strikers in the country. I mean, this was also that time, you know, when the money was so daft in England that, like, Boston United were out like outbidding us for players. Yeah, yeah, and Craig Levine wanted to bring Steve Lovell to to Leicester City, and Jimmy Caldwell had that capacity as a manager and as a man, as a kind of a man manager as well to just make players believe in what he was going to sell them. And because by all accounts, we probably should have lost Steve Lovell to to Leicester City to go play, you know, wide on the right in a five, supporting Mark Dries up front for Craig Brown's. Well, I can only assume to be utterly terrible Leicester City team to to watch. But instead we can bring him into Aberdeen and you think that okay, we've we've made ourselves solid. We'd lost um Marcus Heikinen in the summer, but beyond that, we'd kind of kept the core of the team. Um Russell Anderson's coming into his own, Xander Diamond's coming through, Kev McNaughton, Michael Hart are like, you know, coming into their own as like fullbacks. You know, Kevin Ott's just improving with uh, with every single game. Scott Severin. Just, I mean, what a signing that guy was. A guy that we had no business signing at the time we did, given the the doldrums we were in. And, you know, Hearts are on their way to, I mean, Hearts finished this season we're talking about. They finished that in second place. And yeah. I think that if, if Scott Severin stays, sticks around, Hearts could have done even more. Um, but we managed to, to lure him up north. And, you know, Chris Clark's becoming a bigger player. The year before Dad and Mackie has his best season for Aberdeen. I said a lot of place things are in place, and then you sign those three players. It just felt exciting, and at that same time, Rangers, who I, I'm staggered to learn had won the league the year before. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe that. There, I remember this time being kind of weird and like, I know Le Guin becomes manager the next season, but I remember the chat about Le Guin going like almost the summer before that Rangers were going to make this play for him. And it almost didn't matter what McLeish did. McLeish was going to be out at the door from, from Rangers. And it felt like they didn't really want to back him to kind of rebuild the squad that had been, you know, so, so very 
at times competitive, at times dominant over Martin Neal's Celtic team. And that's just, this is the year they're signing like Rodriguez, like Julian Rodriguez, center back. Um, yeah. Jean-Pierre Fanfan. Um, I think Francis Jeffers signs on loan in this summer. Uh, Olivier Bernard. It's They're just throwing shit at the wall on the cheap. And like Stefan Kloss is being phased out. Um, other big players have left like beyond Barry Ferguson and maybe like Dado Perso who could have played at a much higher level. I remember going to this game thinking like, and not in the kind of way that we say like now where we can like say like, this is not a good Rangers team, but let's be honest, they're still a lot better than we are. At that point, I was thinking like, this is a marked difference to the Rangers team I've come to know as an Aberdeen fan growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s. So I came into this game with a lot of optimism. Even though we not started that season really well, it was a 1-1 draw with United and then a 2-1 defeat with Kilmarnock at home yeah. um, the week prior. But there was something about this game, I mean, looking at the team sheets, you know, Kloss has been phased out, Fatteros is in goal for Rangers. Bob Malcolm, I can say he's on his way to making over 100 appearances for Rangers. <laughs> That's fucking criminal. Well, um, I, Yeah, I've a lot of optimism, but I, I wouldn't have expected what we did as far as getting that two goal lead. And the, I mean, the second goal, especially like we were sitting in the RDS at the time, the upper yeah, deck. We were. Um, it was a, a bird's eye view of some link up play between our attacking players. I hadn't seen maybe ever at that point supporting Aberdeen. You know, we'd had Zerowali who's capable of moments of magic, but as a team, I didn't see anything like that. And it made me think like, okay, we've, we've sorted out the defense in the first year. Now we've got this threat going forward. We could like really, really do something this season. It was, uh, see, it's funny you say that. Cause I remember coming to that game being a bit more apprehensive about it. Cause you know, we'd, we'd not start the season. Well, um, our run against Rangers, we'd not beaten Rangers. At, well, I was going to say, sorry, we'd not beaten Rangers full stop since 1998, I think. Uh, 97, 98, I want to say. Um, we were at it. Stephen Glass with the winner. Um, in, the, in the main stand, yep. Yep. Um, you know, so I I, I, I kind of got to the point as an Aberdeen fan here where I, I, I stopped really believing that we could do anything against them. Um, Rangers Celtic, which is which is deeply unfortunate. I think in a way also I got a little bit wrapped up because like as you said, we were in the South Stand for a while like under Ebby. We were in the South Stand and we moved to the yeah. um we moved to the RDS upper deck in Steve Patterson's uh one full season from memory. I only yeah. remember I only remember that because we were in there on the last day of the season when we had the kind of planned walkout, which didn't actually happen against oh, Dundee. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then um we were there for Jimmy's first season, first game, which I think was against Rangers, a nil nil draw. It was nil nil draw. Um uh, where no. Yeah, nil nil draw. Uh, it was because Jean Alon Boomsong, that's a name. Oh, yeah. Uh marked no wheeling out of the game. That's that's all I really remember <laughs> about that game. Um because we'd had these weird things where we kind of went close a bit with them. Cause I remember under Patterson, um a one one draw open day of the season. David Drillich uh, David Drillich um outpaced Henningberg, yes. Um, I remember Phil McGuire Patterson's... sold the shirt. Yeah, I remember Barry Steve Ferguson Patterson. scored a penalty from because uh, Phil McGuire brought down Fernando Rickson. Yeah, I remember a two-two draw as well. Darren Mackey and Leon Mike scored. What a time to be alive! 
you know, so we'd kind of come close and kind of compete against them one on one off games sometimes. There was obviously Ebb, the the one nil game in the League Cup under Ebb. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Andy Dow. Yep, an extra which time. It was a great night. But in the league, we just never seemed to be able to quite get it. I think I came at this game not quite there for that. But then the the second goal, the second goal. I mean, I, I love watching. I mean, you heard me talk about it with with Martin during the the feature anyway. Like the second goal, just still to this day stands up. It's a great, really well worked goal. And and the thing is as well that I think you perhaps um, omitted because the attacking play is sensational. But it's kind of like. Even though I think he was only about 20, 21, it's like almost peak Xander Diamond in how aggressive he is. And he wins the ball off of, I'm sure it's Dowdo Percy wins the ball off actually, which then, you know, sets off the the counter-attack. It's, yeah, it's it's incredible stuff. And like, I I think I got, because the RDS at that point was the singing section. Yeah. And it felt to me like at that time, like the heat that existed between Aberdeen and Rangers, like was like, probably not its peak, but like it was. I think it was about, I think it was up there. Yeah. There was a lot of tension between the two supports at that point. And it, it was so, like you say, we'd, we'd come close, but we'd never got there. And like to go 2 0 up, it was like so satisfying. It's like it, was, it, it just brought this different edge to it. And then, of course, two minutes later, we concede a 2 1. And it's um, suddenly course. you begin to think that's it. Why was Steve Lovell marking down a person at the corner? <sighs> well, who knows? Anyway. Uh, and then Lovenkranz scores an absolute worldie. We've seen this before, we've seen it after, where. We get into a good position and then Rangers can pull it back. And at that point, the momentum's all with them. All you're expecting is them to retain possession and then just wave after wave of Rangers attack before the inevitable happens. Rickson sells the shirt for Rangers. Um, Kevin on engineers it to a, a degree. And then I remember like the rest of the game being quite... Not much happened. Not, not much to it. Um, not We didn't exactly um, go at them in the way you'd expect or... Rangers sell to a point. They, they yeah. were happy to take it 2-2. Yeah, yeah. And then um, it's, a, it's a free kick and uh, future Don's alumni, Morris Ross. Yes. With a pretty um, a pretty timid bit of defending. I didn't realise until watching it back uh, yesterday ahead of recording this show how far out James Palacci was. I thought it was like on the edge. Of the, it's, it's more like 25, 30 yards. Yeah. The first touch is what think, what dreams are made of. And then the shot, I mean, as well, because of the, it's at the RDS um, end where we were, of course, we were like in the upper deck back half of the stand. Yeah. At that point, everyone stands up and you just have to go off the reaction of everyone else in the stadium to know if this has gone in or, you know, if he's hit Rosette. Um, elation, uh, the thing, the kind of thing that football is made of, the reason you go to Pataudry to watch your team be the underdog because when that happens, it's it's all worth it. Absolutely. I don't think you could put any better, Gav. Great stuff. Again, like I said, if you'd like to get involved on my favourite game. And then some... we went on and had a fucking terrible season. Yeah, exactly. That's the Aberdeen way. We, we, yep. you know, um, we'll find out about that in my favourite game. Part three with Tom, I imagine. You'll, you'll hear all about that there. Um, anyway, if you'd like to get involved my favourite game, please hit us up on Twitter. There's been a load of people already do it, so we do have a nice list. But if you'd like to get involved, please send us a message. We'll get you um, sorted out for that. Or drop us an email, abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com. That will wrap up this week's episode of the ABZFP. Uh, thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever you like to do with your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 73 
of the longest running weekly episodic AFC podcast on the market where we will continue our look back at the season so far in the company of three time, three time, three times, Andy Murray. We look forward to seeing you then. Stan Free. Some might call it Aberdeen Entertainment. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!